Hi there, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Shoulder, and this is Learning to Fail. People are complicated. I know a lot of complicated people. My guest today is Carlos Valencia, an American-born comic with Colombian roots. He's very funny and really down-to-earth. I saw Carlos perform in Asheville and couldn't wait to sit down with him. If you ever get a chance to see Carlos Valencia perform live, take it. You'll love him. In the meantime, you can sit back and enjoy the conversation he was kind enough to have with me. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to express my gratitude to all of you who are listening. Your letters, your comments, and your donations are deeply appreciated. Thank you for being so supportive. When I launched this podcast, I had no idea if anyone other than my mother would actually listen. It turns out I have more mothers than I thought. So keep tuning in and keep telling other people. If you haven't already done so, please rate and review us on iTunes. This is the number one way you can help us grow our audience. Let the world know what you think about learning to fail. You'd be amazed at how much they value your opinion. Make sure you check out our website, ltfpod.com. Every episode has its own page and we love reading your comments. While you're there, please visit our donate and Amazon pages. Anything you can give will only help us grow. But as always, the most helpful thing you can do is simply to listen to the podcast and encourage others to do the same. The more of us out there learning to fail, the sooner we'll all succeed. Let's turn our attention now to Carlos Valencia and all the insightful things he had to say. He's unafraid to talk about what's real, and that's what makes him great. So first of all, dude, thank you for making time to do this. I yeah, know sure. that you're busy. And Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. I mean, I have, like I said, when I met you last night, you know, I've been wanting to see you live for a while because I've heard you and my friend Nick saw you up in Johnson City and bought me your CD as a okay. surprise gift because I couldn't be there. That's cool. And uh, uh, yes, yeah, so I was really happy when I found out you were awesome, man. opening for Doug. How did you get that gig? Do you tour with him a lot? I have in the past. I haven't really toured with him in a, in a minute, but I have uh, uh, the big, big tour I did with him was in 2012 where it was me... Junior Stopka, uh, well, it was me, Junior Stopka opening. I mean, there was other people with us, like Shaley, the road manager that was there last night. He was the road manager for that tour. And then Bingo was with us. We even had a, a reporter that was writing an article for Rolling Stone, which never came out. Actually, no, it came out on a different magazine. But anyway, so that was the big tour I did with him. But I'd, I'd opened for him before that. I met him like in 06, 07. Uh, and uh well i don't know how if you want me to get into the yeah yeah absolutely yeah no no this is uh, this is because the short of it is i got this gig just because i saw him on 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 monday but the long of it is i met him in charlotte that's where i started comedy was in charlotte north carolina and my buddy joe zimmerman who used to live in Nashville for a little bit joe and i he started we started around the same time in charlotte so joe booked stanhope to uh to do charlotte and I just helped Joe run the show, just do logistics, like bring, you know, set the chairs up and we'll help at the door, that sort of thing. So we, uh, we, did, we did that. And then the next year, Joe had already moved to Asheville. So I, 
I just hit up, I just straight up emailed Doug. I mean, back then, I guess it was more direct that way. Right. You know, now he has a booking agent uh, that does most of the booking, if not all of it, I you know, all of it. But then it was just like email Doug at hotmail.com or something like <laughs> right, that. Right, yeah, right. And I was like, hey, man, I helped uh, my buddy uh, run his show when you were in Charlotte last year. Would you want to come back? I saw he had like an open date between, I don't know, I think he was coming in from Baltimore. And uh, and he was like, yeah, sure. I was like, all right, great. And so I, bu- I, I booked him at a place called The Milestone in Charlotte, which is an old, old punk rock club. And... Uh, and man, I, I I don't I don't I still don't know much about promoting. I still hate promoting shows. I rarely ever do it. But uh, that was the first time I'd ever promote a show. But basically, all I did is like put a couple of posters up, and it was sold out like the day before because he had that much of a fan base. And and I think that particular show I think was the only one he was doing in the southeast. So people people if he's only doing one show, people will come in from you know southern virginia and south carolina and and eastern tennessee like they will travel a long ways to see doug so i met him then and because i booked him i put myself on the show of course because i was like yeah i want to be i you know i want to say that i worked with stan hope you know one time in my life i tried to book myself on last night's show did you because i know the owner of the gray eagle so i had him send a note to doug's people and say hey you know do you guys need a host because we got a guy here who can host for you Mm -hmm. and they were like Nah, we'll take care of it. We don't need it. So. Well, that's the other thing is like I I got lucky or I was lucky in the sense that when I met Doug, it, I, I didn't know him like way, way back in because, you know, like Brett Erickson that opened last right. night, he's known Stan Hope for, you know, 20 years or something. Okay. You know? I just met him about 10 years ago. So what, but when I met him was around the time that he was stu- that he had kind of stopped doing comedy clubs and was just booking punk rock clubs like he was like done with the comedy clubs didn't want to deal with them anymore he was Mm. just going to do his own thing so it worked out in that he was looking for places to do that were outside of comedy clubs so i when i hit him he was open to the idea of doing that gig and also at that point he just traveled by himself he just basically flew in did the show flew out went to the next gig so so other than him there was no other open he, he wasn't bringing opening acts is what i'm trying to say right. so you could book yourself right like i did shamelessly but but uh but now uh, he usually uh brings openers now like right. usually he'll have uh either he tours with the same couple of guys uh for a couple of weeks or he'll just bring somebody to open for him and it's not he does they don't use or he doesn't use as many local openers as he used to unless i guess you talk to him before the show and then he'll put you up to end the show. yeah right yeah that was a pretty fun that was happened last night Uh, he told me he does that i mean apparently that's something he does regularly that he puts uh, guys that he meets at the comedy show yeah some he'll put some (laughs) local guy up just like that's his finale it it seemed like i because i talked to chesney about it you know chesney yeah yeah, and um and Chesney asked, he's like, oh, did he put up some new guy, you know, or whatever. Oh, yeah. So I guess that's something he's done before. Okay. I did, I, that's the first time I'd ever seen it, seen them do that. Uh, I mean, I'm not surprised that he, that, I mean, he's done a lot crazier shit than that. But yeah, uh, but yeah I, I almost felt nervous for the kid. I don't know him. Do you know him? Are you no, I've never seen him. He's not local to Asheville. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. He's local somewhere, but not here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I've never seen him bring somebody up to close the show like that before, but. But anyway, yeah, the point is, though, is that, yeah, they don't use, it doesn't seem like he uses 
local openers as much anymore. Yeah. So I got lucky that when I met him, he still was doing that. And then, you know, after that, I, I, op I started opening for him more regularly. Like we did, we did actually, we did a Spartanburg which is the same gig that we're doing. Like I'm doing after, after this, I'm going right. down to Spartanburg, South Carolina. I opened for him there. And then I did Athens. It was just like a four day run and stuff. So anyway, just along the years I've opened for him here and there. I haven't done a full blown tour with him in a long time, but usually I'll, you know, if I'm in town when he's, when he's in town, I'll usually do an opening spot or a guest spot or something like that. Or if I just, it's happened a few times, like it just happened last year. I just happened to be doing shows in Amarillo, Texas, of all places. And he was there like the day after. So I just stuck around an extra day and did a spot. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So how long have you been at this? I started in 2005. So 11 years going on 12. And does that mean that's when you went on your first open mic or whatever? Or that's when you committed yeah. yourself full time? Oh, no. 05 is when I first did comedy. The first time I ever did comedy was a comedy competition, actually. And then I did that, and then I took probably about, it took me about three or four months before I got the guts to actually try to not do an open mic. Right. Uh, and then, and then, so, I mean, I guess, I mean, uh, the first time I ever did comedy was August of 2005. Then I, it took me about three months to get on stage again. And then after that, I'd just been doing it straight since then. I didn't, I didn't start doing it full time, though, till like 2000 nine i think is so four years of three to four years of really developing yourself of doing yeah doing that and, and having a day job and then and then i went i mean it's not that and it's not that i was like booked solid or anything in 2009 but i was getting enough gigs that if i uh, if i kept my day job i would have had to like turn down actual gigs or right. or take too much time off like i already taken too much time off so I just decided, well, you know, I'd rather do stand up. So that's why I quit the day job. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's, the dream. that's how long I've been broke as well. So it's <laughs> I a, know that's a, it's not the most profitable move, but I, you know, again, I just wanted to do stand up. So I was like, I, you know, I don't want to turn down gigs and I worked, I had a bad job for stand up because I worked on the weekends. I had, I worked Saturdays and Sundays, which is when most shows are on the weekend. So it just didn't. I had to, it had to, it had to be one or the other. And obviously I'd rather do stand up. Of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so who else have you opened for? Who are some of the bigger people that you, uh, I just did a tour with Tom Segura. That I like was him fun. a lot. Yeah. He's good. I mean, yeah, he's great. That was fun because I, he does, he does really big theaters, which I don't really have done that much. Like uh -huh. I actually, one of the few big theaters that I'd done was, uh, that I first ever did was the Diana Wortham here in Asheville. Oh, with who? Uh, well, the first time it was opening for Todd Barry. It was the very... I did the first three Asheville comedy festivals, the Laugh Your Asheville uh -huh. Off. I did the first three of them. And the very first one was uh, Todd Barry was the headliner. And then I think the next year it was Alonzo Bowden. And, and the third year, I don't know if they even had a headline. But anyway, they do shows there for the Asheville Festival. So I, that was the big first big theater that I ever did. But when I did the things with Segura, like the the last gig that we did was at Florida State University, and it was like twelve hundred people. Like I'd never done a show that huge. But that's, I mean, that's there's a Segura and 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 Stanhope are the guys I've toured with. 
I've opened for a lot of other people, but it would just be like for one weekend or one show. Like I've worked with uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, uh, uh, Gilbert Godfrey, uh, Andy Kindler. I, I've I've done opening spots. The thing is, I I lived in Atlanta for for five years. Okay. And I lived like four blocks from the Laughing Skull Comedy right. Club. Yeah. And uh, and 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 the punchline was also there. I mean, I'd been there forever. So I would get on shows just because there's always great comics coming in from, you know, what at whatever club and sometimes even just doing indie gigs. So I, I would just hop on on some of those shows, do guest spots. Right. Um, I'm trying to think who uh, actually Morgan Murphy, who is actually starting tomorrow, is going to be one of the openers for Stanhope. So I think she's on the tour for like a week. I opened for her. In, at the Laughing Skull as well. Dave Attell, I've opened a few times for too. Those are just some of the guys that I think uh, I can think of off the top of my head. So I've never heard of the woman. What's her name? Morgan Murphy. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with her. She's very funny. She has very, very, very dry delivery. I mean, she's basically, she almost has the inflection of uh, like Stephen Wright. Oh, wow. Like really, that, really. Like, you know, uh, monotone, I guess. Right. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen her, but she has very, very good joke teller. I mean, that's the thing is like she's I was just talking to Brett Erickson last night and and he yeah, he was describing it basically that way where it's just like there's no there's no uh, crazy inflections or crazy. Um, uh, she's not physical at all. Right. She's just got very, very well written jokes. And she just delivers with a straight face. Yeah. Well, that's. Yeah. I'm I mean, looking forward to seeing. I'm gonna try to stop by one of those shows where she's opening to see because they're doing. They're gonna. I think they're still on tour for about a week, another week and a half. So I'm gonna try to stop by maybe Columbia or Winston Salem or something. And um. So I have a question. I don't know if it's, if it's an inappropriate question. I can cut it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but do they pay you to do this at your? you're sort of what's the name of your spot? Are you as an opener? Yeah. Okay. If you're if you're if. If you're officially like on the bill as an opener, then yeah, you get paid. If you're just doing a guest spot, like I, like I did in, uh, like I was telling you when I was in Amarillo, I just actually I just stopped by because I wanted to see the show, but Doug ended up like, okay, you're doing five. And I'm like, oh shit, I better right. start drinking because I wasn't <laughs> expecting to be on stage. But if it's a thing like that, like you're just stopping by to do a guest spot, then no, that's just. You know, no, of course, a guest spot. Yeah, but, so, but last night you were considered as, yeah, like an, an opener, opener. Mm-hmm. and then so you were the opener, and Brett was the feature or the middler. What I, do they call that? With, at that with point? Doug's shows, I mean, the, you know, the usual comedy club way is MC feature headliner. That's just just the way most comedy clubs do it. But with Doug's shows, it's 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 hard to put a label. I mean, I would just say there's openers and Stanhope. Like I would just okay. like. like I am. I'm one of the openers. Brett is another one of the openers, and then Stan. Because you can't even. Because technically, he's the uh, Stan Hope's the MC. Because he's the the I way. Because he came up as the host, too, right. right? And that's the way he's been doing it lately. At least that's the way he was doing it last year when I ran into him. Is that he goes up first, does some time, maybe does a few announcements, brings up the first one, and actually last night was a little uh, different because there was a time constraint because there right. was a show right after our show right so we had to keep the the time tight but usually what happens or what he's been doing is he goes up brings up the first opener then goes up again after the first opener does a little right. more time then brings up the next opener 
and then goes up and closes the show. Last night he didn't. I brought up Brett. Right. He didn't go up in between us, but the way he's been doing it lately, he's he yeah. It's basically the St- Doug Stanhope show. It's like it's almost like he's hosting a television show where he brings up his Got friends yeah. and and then he closes it out at the end. It's a totally cool way to do it. Like. I mean, it was really neat to have him show up up front, and there's something very unpretentious about it. Right, yeah. Like, you know, that he's the headliner, and he's obviously this veteran comic who's been at this for a really long time, mm-hmm. and he's loved and respected and has a very solid base, as you said, the people who drive from, you know, six oh, yeah. hours around to come see oh, yeah. him. We, we had a, there was a lady once that drove to Spartanburg, actually, from Baltimore to see. Wow. I'm like, good Lord, you could have probably seen him in Baltimore if you'd have just waited. Yeah. But yeah. She, she drove all the way down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so I just think it's cool. Like, cause everyone's so different, you know, there are so many different ways of being a star. And my impression of him after one night <laughs> is just a lot of humility and a lot oh, yeah. of just like regular guyness. I mean, he hosted the show, in the sense, like he came out first and did like just he was just so friendly and casual. And he is that way. I mean, I when I first met him, like when I booked that one show in Charlotte, I was a little intimidated because I just knew him from the stand-up, and he's very uh, unapologetic and in your face, right? As a comedian, as a comedian, yeah. as a stand-up. So I was expecting that guy. Like I when I so when I talked to him on the phone or when I first met him, uh, I was like, oh, I better. Like going into it, I was like, like oh, I better watch what I say. If I say the wrong thing, this guy's going to tear me to pieces. Right. But no, he's just a very, very nice guy. He's one of the, the nicest people I've ever met. He was extremely approachable. Oh, yeah. And outside, you know, doing the merch at the end, he's just like taking pictures, whatever people wanted at the end. Pictures, they want to talk to yeah. him, sign something. He didn't give a shit. He was just happy to do it, did it all with a smile, and then was ready to go drink some more. Yeah, and... And that's the thing that uh, a lot of comics that get to that level that he is, they don't do, they don't stand outside for merch or sometimes they just don't sell any merch at all. And I don't blame them because it's going to be a long time that you're out there. Yeah. Because everybody's going to want to take a picture. Everybody's going to want to have an autograph. And then the picture didn't take right. So you got to take two. And then they have a story. And then they're like, hey, do you remember when I, when you were in Tampa and I coughed? You know, like, be some, like I'm, I was, I'm the guy that coughed in Orlando. No, of course he doesn't remember. But, but he still does it. I mean, he still stays out there. I mean, when we were, when we, when we did the Charlotte show on Monday, I mean, I think it, it had to have been at least 30, 45 minutes, if not an hour, just of people going to the merch booth one by one, taking pictures, That's awesome. doing autographs, that sort of thing. So. I give him a lot of credit for that. A lot of a lot of comics when they get to that level, they're like, "Man, I just can't. It'll be I'll be out there forever if yeah. I if I stay out there." Well, I think maybe that's part of how he's developed that fan base that he has is by being so accessible to people. You yeah, know? I think so. I mean, he part of I think how he built his fan base towards uh, to around the time when he was starting to branch out, just do his own shows. It was even through MySpace. Right. He had a MySpace and. I think I'm pretty sure I, I actually never really talked to him about it, but I think he would look up people that might be interested in this kind of comedy and would f- send them friend requests or something. Or And he b- kind of built partially uh, his fan base through uh, hitting up people on MySpace and just being, being, you know, very approachable and talking to 
yeah. people online. It's so funny. I mean, it's like, it just fascinates me to see some, to imagine someone who's at the level that he's at now, you know, just pounding the streets like anybody else when he's getting started. I mean, just doing the legwork himself and yeah. making his own friend requests and doing all that. It's, it's funny to me because I never, I like, I did, I never, I didn't know him back when he was still doing comedy clubs. So I never really, um, I'd never done a show with him that wasn't for his crowd. Right. Right. Now, anywhere he goes, it's people that are going to see Stan Hope. Right. At least 99% or 90%. Maybe some people randomly will be like, hey, let's go see a comedy show or something like that. But most of the people there know who he is and are there because they love who he is. So I, didn't, I never got the experience of, of, ha- of seeing him at a comedy club. Because most comedy clubs, people go just because they want to see a comedy show. They don't right. invest the time. Usually they don't invest the time to try to find out who the comic is or what kind of comedy they do. Right. Which is ridiculous because I'm not the only one to put, I mean, maybe even Doug put it this way. You don't go to a movie theater and Hey, and you and you tell the person at the box office, give me a ticket for a movie. Right. And then they're like, yeah, just any movie. Yeah. No, you've, you know, if you're into a horror movie, you're going to see the horror movie. If you want to see a comedy, you see the comedy. A lot of people go into, into a stand up comedy club and they're just like, their attitude seems to be like, ah, it's just stand-up. It's just comedy, comedy. It's like, well, there's dark comedy and yeah, there's silly comedy and there's ethnic comedy and urban comedy. And so when people would go see Doug and he does very dark material, that's when you get like a lot of walkouts, a lot of uh, people complaining or people offended. He even mentioned it in Charlotte on Monday because he did the Comedy Zone which I'd never seen him do the Comedy Zone every time I've opened for him in Charlotte for the last 10 years it's always been a punk rock club or a rock club or something like that or right. theater uh, so but did the Comedy Zone and I asked him like when's the last time you did the Comedy Zone and he really didn't remember but it'd been a long time because I know it'd been a long time just because I know him for the last 10 years but I also remember friends of mine from Charlotte that have told me that they saw him at the comedy zone the really really old comedy zone there's been like two since then in different locations and they would talk about like yeah yeah a lot of people walked out but man i love that guy you yeah. know like that's the thing is like the he he says that he didn't really get much uh much of anything out of the man show he hosted the man show right. for a year and uh and, you know, I'm sure, like, you know, even the, the show was not a hit when, when he took it over with Rogan. But I'm sure that that kind of lifts your profile more, any kind of television Definitely, that sure. you do. So I'm sure people came out to see him because, oh, it's the man show guy. And right. then maybe 90% of the people that went are going to be like, oh, what the fuck? This guy is dirty and, and offensive. But the 10% that did like it, they're hardcore fans right. for life. Forever, yeah. And if you do that enough times, then you, then that hardcore following just keeps building and building to the point now that he can just basically go to any town in America and and do a show at, with at least 100 people. I mean, depending on the... And, you know, 100 people for a small town and fucking probably 600 plus in a big one. Right. It's, a, it's really interesting. It's like it's a real long game he's playing. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Um, there's just so many different ways to do it. Everybody now, you know, I think there's this sense of, I don't want to say everybody now, but there is a sense of, I got to make it big fast uh-huh. because it seems like some people make it so big so quickly, but you don't really have a sense of how much time went into them getting to where they are. Right. Like, you know, I had no idea 
that you've been doing this since 2005. That's mm-hmm. 12 years, you know. I yep. mean, it makes sense because you're up there, you're super comfortable and your material is pretty rooted, you know. Thank you. Um, so I'm not surprised that you've been at it for a while, but I'm just saying I wouldn't know. Right. You know, and so I, I had no idea how long it takes, you know, to, no, be, to become Carlos Valencia and then how long it takes to become Doug Stanhope. Well, know? and then a lot of people just don't become that ever. Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I was actually, I just did a podcast about a month ago and where we were kind of talking about this and about how Doug kind of gives the gives uh, some uh, to, to some comics it kind of gives them the illusion that oh Doug did it so I can do it too which is not necessarily true right. because for one thing Doug is Doug Stanhope you right. know he's a brilliant comic so he's done it and he's huge and he's done accomplished a lot of things but that's also because you know he's a very genius comic that actually puts work into I mean he actually researches his material and you know puts a lot of thought of it where i think a lot of comics only see the drinking partying side right so they're just like ah man you know i'm just gonna do it stanhope style you know i'm gonna get out there and get drunk after shows and just do it for uh you know 15 10 years 10 15 years and never and then i'll be doug stanhope's like nah it's takes a little bit more than that yeah you gotta have the material you gotta have the material Yeah. yeah you can't just be like there's more to being Doug Stanhope than just being drunk all the time. Yeah, right. I was going to say, it's not the alcoholism that makes him famous. Right, exactly. Um, so I know when you said, like, in Amarillo, you said, you know, oh, I'm going up for five minutes. I better start drinking. Mm-hmm. So do you only perform drinking? or is No, that- I do. I, 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 I can perform sober. I just get... Uh, I'm more comfortable if I've had a, at least a couple of drinks. Uh, cause I have, I deal with, uh, anxiety. Mm. I have a lot of anxiety. And, uh, so that calms me down some, and also I'm just looser. I mean, honestly, some people are funnier when they're drunk. And I think that's the case with me. I'm definitely, and there's a, there's a, obviously, uh, a, a limit, which I'm still trying to figure out after <laughs> You're 10 still years. finding that zone. Yeah. There's a, there's a zone where it's like, okay, this is the perfect amount of alcohol. Because uh, if I keep drinking, then because I have done that, I have had made that mistake before where I drank too much before the show, and then I'm sloppy, I'm slurring my lines or yeah. doing my jokes out of order or some shit like that. So there is a limit. But with that particular show, just because I was just there, to, I was not expecting to be performing at all. I, uh, uh, and then he put me on the show. Uh, then I was like, oh, that, because it was so sudden, that really, like, oh, okay, now I'm getting, that heightened my anxiety, just because yeah. it was such a, I get, I get anxious, just any show, really, I mean, especially within the last year, I've had heightened anxiety, but, but uh, if it's something that's being popped on me, like, especially if it's a dog stick, because I don't want to fucking eat a dick at the Stanhope show. <laughs> Although it's really, to be honest with you, it's really, really hard to bomb at a, at a Stanhope show because his audiences are always uh, amazing. They're very smart and open-minded yeah. and, uh, and they like dark humor, obviously. If they like, that's what I always tell people is like, I know if I'm opening for Doug, there's nothing I can say that the audience is going to be like, oh my God, I'm walking out of here. Like, you yeah, right. You're not, you're not right. Yeah, right. You're not gonna out 
in, uh, insult or what's the word like um, offend them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they're there to see. If they're there to see Doug, there's nothing I can do that's going to be too offensive for them. I remember when I was thinking, like when I was watching you and watching Brett last night, and Brett was fascinating for me to, to watch. I've never seen a comic like him. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean weird things like, you know, half the time he's off the mic. He's over here. He doesn't care. And then he talks a little louder. He kind of knows he's off the mic and then he comes on and he talks normally. And, and I've never seen somebody do that. Like I've seen an amateur person do that. But I've never seen somebody that clearly knows what they're doing yeah. and then has this presentation that's almost like super loose and would rather not be there. Like, you know, but the material is fucking awesome. I mean, he's got well, for one thing, he's been doing it for a long time. I don't know exactly how long he's been doing it, but I would say at least 15, 20 years. But also he he was the house MC at the comedy club in Peoria. And when you're a house, I've never done it because I've always thought it, would, it sounds horrible. But what it will do is it'll it'll make you it uh, it'll make you well. Obviously, it'll make you a great host, which makes you a better comic just because you're that comfortable on stage. Right. Like he is, he's just like he's under control. He doesn't like you said. You know, he doesn't. He's not scared to get a you know uh, away from the mic or whatever he's he right. knows what he's doing and he's in total control and that's part of if you're if you're MC, if you're house mc that's gonna grow your chops immensely right because you you are the master of ceremony that's your show you own it you're at my house i gotta make everybody feel comfortable make a laugh make a quip there so he's i don't think there's anything that can fucking phase brett at this point we had a in monday on monday we had uh he did a bit which i think I was on the I was in the green room, so it was hard for me to hear some of the stuff. But I think he 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 closed last night with the military thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he did that joke in on Monday in Charlotte, and some kind of some veteran got took offense and right. like stood up and approached the stage, like got right in front of the stage, crossed his arms, and like just trying to face down Brett. Right. Uh, as soon as Doug saw it, he Doug like just went right after the stage and just like stood next to bread and you know, they both handled it together. Right. But Eric, uh, 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 I keep going, calling him Eric Erickson, Brett Erickson. Okay. He wasn't phased. I mean, he, he Brett could have just handled that just as easily himself without mm. Stan Hope approaching the stage. That's a scary moment. If somebody's like approaching and it can aggressive, be, yeah. you know, but he, I mean, I, he, he, he wasn't phased. I mean, again, again, it's just, just, it's 20 years of experience yeah. and being a house MC and just, I'm sure he's dealt with a lot of shit. So I was like, all right, I can deal with this too. Yeah. I almost feel like Joe Rogan's got a leg up on everyone because he's a mixed martial arts master. <laughs> no one's going to approach the stage if he offends them, you know? I think it's, I think uh, it might've been Doug that talks about how he likes hanging with Rogan because it makes like, I can it 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 it, 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 it frees Doug to be more of a shit talker because he, <laughs> he knows Joe's got yeah, his back. Joe's right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you got you're with a guy that can do mixed martial arts. Like, oh yeah, I can talk shit. <laughs> yeah, I like Rogan. I've really I haven't met him, but um, I listen to his podcast semi regularly. Uh, I've seen several of his specials. The guy's brilliant. Yeah, no, I like him a lot. I listen to I don't listen to his podcast. Well, I, I honestly, I just don't listen to podcasts as much unless I'm on the road like right. when I have a long trip. 
And so to listen to Rogan's, it's got to be a l- really long trip because his, right, his are like three hours yeah. long. So if I'm like driving to Michigan, I'll pop a couple of yeah. Joe Rogan's. But I, yeah, I always, and he's a very, very smart guy. He is really smart and, and he's, uh, he's really good because I've had, I've seen him have some pretty, um, out there guests, you know, guys who have really, uh, extreme points of view and, you know, they're conspiracy theorists and all the stuff that Joe's into, mm-hmm. but Joe's kind of measured about it. Like he's able to dial it back and just say, hold on, let's walk this back. Let's, I want to deconstruct this and pick these pieces apart. He won't let the guys just go off the rails, which, you know, they'll do on their own radio shows or whatever. Ah, okay. And yeah. yeah. And, and so his ability to, you know, both ha- like have these, you know, kind of out there ideas, conspiracy oriented ideas, super, you know, outside even the libertarian box ideas and then also really be able to kind of keep it focused and there's, there's like a discipline about him mm-hmm. uh that i find really impressive and it and and it's clear to me when i hear him host his podcast why he's so successful as a comic because that ability to sort of edit and you know, kind of find the line of what you want to be really talking about, like what's really mm-hmm. going to go in versus just being extreme and right. getting attention and, and what's going to have kind of staying power. Yeah. I feel like he really has that. And that's, I, I find that fascinating to listen that's to. That's a, yeah, no, that's a great skill to have, especially as a stand-up comic. I, I honestly, I'm guilty of not, I don't, I don't do enough editing or rewriting. I don't, I mean, I, I still, you know, obviously I put uh, a lot of thought into my stuff, but I know I could do more to just uh, trim down some of the bits that I do, just like be have a, a better economy of words, right? Or maybe, or or because I, I was just I'm, I'm making I'm recording an album in next week, right? And even even though it's only a week away, I'm still thinking in my head like ah, maybe I can still make that bit better because that's the thing about recording an album too, and I, I've only done one, but you'll run into you put it on the album and then like a month or two later you think of a better way of telling one of the jokes that's already in the album and it's like it's already there so you're you can't tag it up now unless you put it on the next album which would be kind of weird i guess you could do that but but yeah it's one of those things where it's like since it's coming up i've been thinking about that sort of thing a little bit more than i usually do the whole editing and Maybe I could focus a little bit more on this or maybe make the, that analogy a little bit better or a little more concise or maybe just come up with a better analogy or maybe this line right here. I could insert a joke here, there's space here to insert some sort of tag. So lately I've been thinking a lot about that. And yeah, like you said, Rogan's just has the mind that's perfect for doing that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, just and for all the drugs that he talks about doing and stuff, I'm just like, man, how how do you smoke that much pot or just take in? that much weed in all the different ways he does it, you know, and just still be so just alert, you know? And, I mean, and some people, some people, it helps some people, uh, it, it, uh, the weed, uh, it just keeps them level. I don't smoke. I smoke weed when it's around, right. Which in stand up it's around a lot, <laughs> but, but at home I never smoke. I don't even drink when I'm at home. I just, oh, really? yeah, I just don't do really anything. But, uh, but the, I have friends that are, you know, potheads, but a lot of them aren't really smoking weed to like get, you know, high off their minds. A lot of them are just smoking. Cause it's like, yeah, like that's how, that's their medicine to deal with their anxiety. Right. That sort of thing that just 
keeps them from you know just being uh jittery or whatever which is fine i mean some it's i think i mean that's a whole other subject about weed why weed uh, should be legal but it is a medicine i mean a lot of people take it for medicinal reasons a lot of people take it just because that's what helps them be cope with day-to-day life sure right they're not trying to you know explore other dimensions every time they get high or whatever they're just trying to trying to stay keep it level so i don't know i don't know if that's what rogan does i don't know how i know he does smoke quite a bit of weed he does hear. a lot apparently right he, and but i don't know if he's just doing it to like get you know silly high or just to, you know i think it helps him explore ideas and, that, and that's another thing that's also true that it can uh help with the writing process too yeah i remember when i was younger i mean i've done enough drugs i don't do anything anymore i barely drink I always say, like, I'm trying to drink. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's an effort for me to drink oh, at this yeah. point in my life, which is good. I mean, yeah, I'll, no, I'll try that hard. Thing. You know, I never ever do anything when I perform. I don't, I don't, I don't drink anything or smoke anything or anything when I'm. I'm performing. trying to drink less, just because I've, I've been getting into in the last two three years. I've been getting into a lot of trouble from drinking and also the hangovers just keep getting worse and worse. So I'm trying to cut down, and I have honestly, even though last night I got pretty pretty hammered. But uh, I never smoke weed before a show. I tried it once or twice. I, I just remember I did one, an open mic once. I got really high before the show. I got up on stage and just immediately forgot everything I was going to talk about. <laughs> so I was like, after 15 seconds, I was just like, ah, you know what, guys, I'm done. So I just got off the stage. So for years, I didn't smoke because I had that experience. Like, I don't want to you know, risk forgetting all my shit. I did I did smoke a little bit though. I did a tour about a month ago and I did smoke before the shows partially because I was trying to drink less. And it and it went fine actually. I was mm. I was surprised, I guess. I was I thought it would fuck with my head a little bit more, but I guess if I just smoke a little bit it's fine. I'm still a lightweight because I don't smoke it often right. enough. Yeah. So if I just take like one hit, I'm Usually that does it for me. I performed in Colorado at a cannabis club. I did like oh, 25 minutes. How was that? Well, I was standing in the cloud. <laughs> and so I'm in secondhand smoking all this different kind of weed. I uh-huh. was so high when it was over. Really? And it happened really slowly because I was in it for a long uh-huh. time. And, you know, just breathing everybody's exhalations, you know. <laughs> and um, I didn't realize how high I was. But we got home. So that means I drove high. <laughs> you know, but not like stoned, just high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I drove high, which I didn't realize I was doing. And when we got home to the people's house I was staying, and I was teaching yoga classes all weekend. That's I have a yoga company. That's okay. really what I do is teach yoga. And uh, and we got back to their house and hadn't eaten since noon. And it was like 1030 at night. And they had made some kind of pot roast. So we were eating the pot roast. And then the woman stopped by the store and she got like chips and vegetables and hummus and next thing i know i'm eating fucking everything oh yeah yeah and i ate this carrot cake i'm gluten-free i'm like fuck it i ate the carrot cake (laughs) and then i realized i had the munchies like it took me a while to figure out why i was eating so much yeah i just thought i was hungry which i was but i wasn't that hungry like (laughs) and and uh and then the next day when i taught the next morning people knew that i was going to perform at this thing in my class and you know i invited everyone to come see me and only a few people did and so I was, but they all wanted to hear about it the next day. And so I was telling about it and I'd been pretty like, I'm pretty structured as a yoga teacher. You know, I come from a really disciplined yoga background and, mm-hmm. and, 
And then the next day I was like, I was pretty loose, you know, I was like really kind of groovy oh, and telling really? them about what happened. They're like, you do seem different. You know? <laughs> so, so even the next day you were still feeling it? Oh yeah. I was still totally. You How know. was your actual set? How did it go? Well, it, I mean, it wasn't problematic in terms of me being affected by the smoke. Okay. So, okay. That's, yeah, that's what I was. Asking. Yeah. But as far as like dealing with a room full of people who are so unbelievably high, I mean, I've never been around people who are that stoned before. They're like comatose stoned, you know? So, yeah. So that was, so, so could you get a reaction out of them or were they that out of it? Could they pay attention? Were they paying attention? Uh, my, any audience work I did, did really well. Any okay. material I did fell pretty flat. Okay. Or if they laughed, there was a very noticeable delay, <laughs> like three to five seconds. And then they would laugh. Okay. And then my favorite story about that is this, you know, I was trying out this new bit about having an astrologer and I, I had written this whole really long thing and I, I still think there's some meat there, but it just needs to be pretty short. Mm -hmm. And, uh, about eight minutes after I finished that bit, this guy goes, you don't smoke pot and you have an astrologer. <laughs> I was like, dude, have you been thinking about that for the last eight minutes? You know, is that how long it took you to, yeah. for the thought to come out of your mouth? But he was funny and, you know, he was heckling me, but not, he wasn't being an asshole. Were they, know? were they attentive? They were totally attentive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They That's were totally what I attentive. Thought. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've never done a show like, I would like to just, I've never done comedy in, in, in Colorado, period. I would like to just do something out there. I hear it's great, but. But that would be an interesting experience. To, to oh, you would kill in that, that environment. They'd love you. <laughs> I'd like to give it a shot. Yeah, sometime. they'd love you. I mean, it's a totally, you know, right next door. To, that place was a bar with the uh, waitresses were in really skimpy bikinis. Like they were practically naked, you know, <laughs> really? that was right next door. Yeah, it was it was just in this little fucked up little street in Colorado Springs. And, but it was fine. I mean, I thought it was going to be a little dangerous. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not a mixed martial artist, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a little conscious when I'm in environments like that. But the guy, the people I was with, the, the yoga studio owner, her husband is like, he's in the military and he's super into mixed martial arts. I don't know how good he is at it, but he loves fighting. So if anything had happened, he would have totally been into at the weed bar, you mean? Well, no one was going to fight me at the weed bar. It was the scary bar next door. Oh, at the scary bar next yeah, door. Okay, it was like okay. a, it gotcha, was almost gotcha. like a biker bar next door, you know? Right. No one, I mean, at the weed bar, everyone's... Well, that's what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, it was like, uh, yeah. No, it was more the neighborhood and like gotcha. the, the overall environment. No, everybody inside was totally cool. But uh, yeah, and then a friend of mine, he, you know, I hadn't seen him forever. He was drinking at the bar and talking to this guy. It was, you know, pretty intimidating looking, but my friend's like a fireman and he was a little guy in high school, but I guess he's bigger now and <laughs> he was fine. But I, you know, I'm, I'm totally out of my element, you know, like, do they sell, uh, do they sell alcohol at the weed bar too? Or no, is it just weed? no, there's no crossover. That's, that's, cause I'm just thinking too, if I've never, again, I've never done it, but if I, if I had the choice of doing a show for a bunch of people that are high and a bunch of people that are very drunk, I think I would choose the high people just cause it's. Alcohol will turn people into assholes. You yeah. Know, some people get are violent drunks and or just you know just dicks. But I've never really met somebody that became a dick from smoking weed. No, nobody was a dick. If in that anything, place. it'll make a dick chill the fuck out. Yeah. And actually, be cool for once. Yeah, yeah. No, everybody was totally cool and and it was fun. I mean, it was it was a totally unusual kind of audience and event and and I really enjoyed it. 
And, you know, but I mean, it was, I was up for 25 minutes because even the host was talking during my set at full volume at one point. Like she got in a conversation. Well, there was this one guy who was, who came in and out and the people who have this, you know, weed, I don't want to call it an addiction, but I don't know what, I don't know what the right word is for. They, They seem pretty laid out on this shit, you know? Yeah. Like, this is their life. All their money is going into weed. Okay. And this one guy came in, and he's the kind of guy who would be a fall-down drunk, but instead he's just a fall-down stoner. Stoner. And he came in and bought a bunch of different kinds of weed, and I'm on stage <clears throat> talking about how I don't really do it. He's like, here, man, take some, you know? And so he threw all his weed at me, you know, uh-huh. in these different bags. And I was like, well, which one should I take? You know, and I, I made a show of it. I wasn't going to keep any of it. <laughs> but then at one point, he he kind of forgot that he'd offered it to me. And I was like, hey, man, give me my fucking weed back. You know, and it got, he got really kind of aggressive. Really? And I'm like, hey, man, it's cool. You know, it's it's your shit. I don't need it. But uh, but he came back and forth and through a couple times. And the woman who was running the show got in full conversations with him, full volume while I'm performing. Really? Yeah. Was she also high out of her mind? Mm, I don't know. Not very. Maybe secondhand or maybe she'd had a hit oh, or two. But, okay. but uh, I think it was just, it was such a lax environment that, oh, okay. that that's how it was. You know, um, the woman who opened for, I mean, she didn't open for me, but the woman who went first, uh, she did about 15 or 20 minutes and she had, I don't know if anybody laughed once. Really? Yeah. It was pretty rough to watch, you know. Was she um, not that good or was it just the audience was that high or she pretty new? No, she's not new. She's super okay. veteran. Uh, I don't think that her humor was and her presentation and everything about her. I don't think it was appropriate for that. Yeah. That's another thing group. too is cause I, I used to do a bit about, about it and I've actually heard Atel talk about it on, on talk shows about doing shows in Denver and how, you know, all the, you can't, you can't judge your jokes when you when you do shows in, in Colorado because everybody's high, so they're going to laugh at everything, you know, that sort of thing. And I used it up a bit, too, where, like, I basically said that it's a good thing weed's illegal because if it wasn't, everybody was high, then anybody could be a comedian. Right. But that's an exaggeration, though, because in reality, it's kind of like you kind of described where if it's, everybody's that high that gets that relaxed, they might get that laid back, they... It might not even be paying that much attention to the show or not be able to follow more uh, involved bits. I would oh, think. totally. Yeah. They couldn't follow anything that had a story to it. Yeah. You know? And I, cause I know I'm that way when I'm high, I'm, I, I have a hard time following mm-hmm. a, You know, if somebody starts a, a converse, a story, I just, my mind trails off eventually. And then I just pick up whenever they stop talking. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that's more like the reality of it. So, so yeah, I also, I imagine there's different styles of comedy that would play better for that kind of a crowd. Like a guy like Mitch Hedberg would probably destroy that crowd. Because oh, yeah. he was already kind of a, or not kind of, he was a, a, a stoner and did drugs and shit. But all his jokes were very short and kind of absurd and silly. And that lends itself for that kind of a crowd, I would imagine. Absolutely. He Whereas like even Stanhope, I don't know if he would do very well in a in a room like that since some of his bits are very long yeah and more involved and it requires you actually paying attention to what he was talking before but yeah if you have a bit that's a minute and a half long they might by the end by the by minute 115 they already forgot what you said 15 oh, totally. seconds into your set yeah yeah set. yeah i think everything has to be 20 to 30 seconds for those mm-hmm. guys tops there was definitely a limited attention span 
So are you a headlining comic in general, or where are you in the pantheon of yeah, comedy? Yeah, mostly now I, I would say I headline, but I still feature, which is the, the middle spot, in clubs where... Um, uh, either clubs where I've, it's my first time there, right? So, because usually it's hard, or or harder to break into a new or onto a new club that you never performed before as a headliner, because you know then they're taking a bigger risk. The club right. is, since they've never seen you perform before. So in, in situations like that, I I middle, if it's my first time at a club. But the goal is, or at least my goal now is, that uh, to do well enough that I could come back to headline the next time around. Uh, that doesn't always work out though, because a lot of clubs will only book, um, either celebrity comics, like really well-known comics or comics, or at least comics that have some television credits. Like Mm. they've been on comedy central or the tonight show or anything like that. And I don't, I don't have any TV credits. So it's hard for me, even if I, even though I can do the time and I probably still do great or uh, at whatever club they're gonna most of a lot of the clubs are going to want to book uh comics that are already you know have some industry right behind them sort of thing are you going to move to la at any point and do that i've thought about it i mean i lived in new york for a year and i might i mean i'd even consider moving back to new york as much as i don't like living there but but just right now i can't uh uh because of finances i can't afford to move to la or new york Cause it's so expensive to live up that way. But yeah, that would be, that would be my goal. I mean, it's hard to say when I'm going to be able to afford it, but yeah, I would like to move there within the next two years, either LA or New York. Yeah. Maybe, I've even considered Chicago cause Chicago, it's a big enough town and I do a lot of work in the Midwest. I, I tour in the Midwest fairly often. So that would put me a lot closer to a lot of the shows that I do as opposed to like driving from Charlotte to, you know, Grand oh, yeah. Rapids, Michigan. Right. Yeah, it's a lot closer from Chicago. But, uh, I've also, the other part of it too, is that I don't know if I want to keep touring as much as I have. I've been touring a lot for the last, I mean, well, I started 10 years ago and I basically started getting on the road about a year and a half, two years in. So at this point I'm probably more or less, about eight years of touring and it's just physic it's it's getting to be very physically and mentally exhausting so i don't know if i can keep it i i I don't think i'll ever quit doing road gigs but uh but i definitely have to uh, tone it down just well you have to do some right i mean because as a comedian you're you're going to be going to cities and performing. If you go to LA and get your TV credits and everything else, that's going to be so mm-hmm. you can start headlining at right. some of these bigger yeah, clubs. Exactly. Right? So you're going to, I mean, if you're a comic, the road is a part of your life. Yeah, exactly. I, but my thing is at this point, like ideally I would already be in LA or New York. I, didn't, I mean, and I was, but I had to move away. Uh, and the thing is, if I move to the thing about moving to LA is that if I move to LA, I just can't do uh a lot of the road work that I do now just because it's all East Coast and I can't afford to fly, especially if I'm the middle act because I'm not going to make enough money to recoup whatever right. I spend on travel expenses. Uh, but with a town like L.A. or New York or even Chicago, you can just do spots in town every day and several in a day, too, if you wanted. Uh, and then eventually, yeah, that would be the goal. If you could get some kind of television exposure, some industry exposure, then... 
then you can start doing a lot of these other clubs that book, uh, uh, you know, people, people with TV credits. And then it would make more sense to go on the road because then I could just like fly and afford to be able to fly. If I'm headlining an A room, they usually pay well enough that, you know, you can afford to fly out there and then fly back whenever, you know, at right. the end of the weekend. But at the, but as a, as a middle act or as a headliner with, with no like TV credits and stuff, you don't, it, it, it makes it a lot harder to be able to afford to do that. Right. Have you done like uh, Groovy Tuesday down in Anderson and stuff like that? Do you ever go no, to that show? No, I actually, I had, uh, I had it booked in December, but I had to cancel because uh, I had a family emergency. But no, I haven't. I mean, I've been, uh, I haven't been to that, but I've done Greenville a million times. And the Spartan. Comedy Zone, you mean? Or, or no. Just, just the town? Just uh, my old buddy, Nick Shaheen. Oh, yeah, I know him. You know, Nick, yeah, he used nice to guy. book shows in Greenville, and he would book me. And he had different rooms. He had the G spot. He had the radio room, which I think is they're doing comedy again now. Yep, they're doing it again. Uh, so yeah, I've done, I mean, I haven't done Anderson, but I've done stuff down South Carolina for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious if you did that show. I'm headlining there in May. Okay, cool. Which will be great. I haven't done a headlining show since last year. Um. And that was really fascinating to do 30 minutes. Like that was everything I had in me <laughs> just material wise. And just physically, I was exhausted when it was over. And you know, that was when I learned you just can't do seven minutes of blowjob material. Like you just, you'll, that's just too much. You can drop a blowjob joke every now and then if it's truly funny, but you can't dedicate a, a chunk of your set <laughs> yeah, to it. Yeah. And, uh, and, but I didn't, I mean, I didn't have a choice. I needed to do 30 minutes. So I'm, right. I'm not really sure what my 30 minutes is going to be. I have a very solid eight to 14 minutes, depending on how much they laugh. Like right. if nobody laughs, it's eight minutes, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, they laugh, but I mean, if it's like, they don't really care, but if I perform to an audience that really gets me, then it can be 14. I mean, I just did it a couple of weeks ago to an audience that just, you know, really, really dug me and, and that set it was a solid 14 minutes um, i actually just i did um because of the cd recording i'm doing on wednesday i wrote an article for creative loafing which is the the independent magazine down in charlotte okay and uh and it was a story basically it's laid out in a in a certain way but what it basically the article is is a i did a show in uh arkansas once at a biker bar which it was it was a shit show just to begin with because it's like when I got there, I, it's all in the article, but the, basically it's the, when I got there, the, the owner of the bar showed up drunk riding a Harley. Like even the, like the bar owner was already hammered wow. and the audience was hammered. Everybody was hammered. So it was a shit show, but I was, a, I was the opener and I did my 30 minutes and that's all I had. Cause at that point, that's all I had. Right. You know, it, that's the other way I tell, other thing that I tell people is that sometimes it's, uh, it's not just about having 30 minutes of material. It's about having enough material that you can switch it up. Totally. Depending on the situation. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah. I mean, that is the, I guess, well, I guess that's most comics goals. When you start out, you want to build your material. So you have enough material to MC, which is usually about 10 to 15 minutes. And then you want to build your material so you can feature, which is usually 30 minutes. And then the headline, which is usually 45 to 50. Uh, but the thing, again, it's not having 30 minutes. It's having 
if you want a feature, you shouldn't have just 30. You should have like 45 or, 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 or maybe, well, ideally more than that if, you, if you're that good. But just enough material that you know, okay, this crowd is not going to go for this. So I'm going to do this right. other bit instead. And same with headlining. It's not just about having 45. It's about having, at that point, an hour to an hour 15 where you can know you can drop this bit. Dude, I just did a gig in... Oh, I didn't even finish the first story. The first story, the rural Arkansas, I did my 30 minutes. That's all I had. But then the drunk owner was like, the booking, I did 30, the headliner did about 50. And then the head, and then the owner after the show was over was like, the booking agency said we were going to have a two hour show. We need to have a two hour show. So you guys have to do an encore. And so we had to get back up on stage and do an encore. And I had nothing. Nothing. I had nothing because I had already told every joke I had. Right. So I just had to do crowd work and it was terrible because I, I mean, I can handle it now, but when I was, I think I was about a year or two in, probably two years in that I, I was terrible. Right. I, I couldn't do, I still hate doing crowd work to this day. I don't mind it. I can do it, but I'd rather not. Back then I just absolutely hated it. Like if I had a rowdy crowd that was heckling or whatever, I would, my approach was just to go faster and louder just so I can like get through my set as fast as possible and maybe talk enough that they don't have a chance to yell at me. Now I'll deal with it. Now I'll actually interact or, 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 or try to uh, quiet down or if I really have to try to shut down a heckler. Back then I had nothing. So, I, so when he was like, go back on stage, I just had to do crowd work and then it just it devolved from there. But, uh, but yeah, I guess my point is if you, if you are going to try to do it regularly, ideally you need more than just your required time sure yeah well that's what i'm you know that's what i'm building towards i mean i'm i consider myself to be like pretty close to being a feature you know i don't Mm -hmm. know about a half hour feature but 20 minutes you know like Mm -hmm. where where i can do 15 to 20 minutes pretty well but i'm not saying i'm there like I, i can do it but i don't know it's not all killer like i have mm-hmm. this you know i have the set i did part of it last night only because you were in the room i was like i my my intention last night is i had all this new kind of spring break material that i opened with i don't know if you remember or not but i was pretty drunk um yeah it's okay i mean i wouldn't care if you were sober and didn't remember but <laughs> but i'm just saying like i started i had this new idea that i wanted to work on and i did work on it but i also knew that you were there and i i wanted to i wanted you to see me do some stuff that was that you would respect, right? You know, because I kind of wanted you to remember. I'm like, well, you know, I want him to know well, that I'm a capable I, I comic. Have, I mean, it's like I was telling you when I did that guest spot for Stanhope. I was like, I don't want to bomb in front of Stanhope. Yeah, either. right. Yeah, that was how I felt. So, so the second half of what I did was stuff that I know is, you know, is okay. But that room last night, by the time I got up, was awful. Well, like, and that's what I didn't realize because uh, you texted me earlier, and because I got there probably what. 10 30 or something yeah you got there in the peak and uh but at that point what's what uh how long has the show been run what time does that show start starts around around 9 30 all right so yeah, they were already about an hour in at that point i guess yeah ish yeah 45 minutes and then, to an hour. And then it was what another 30 minutes before no we, we did we got up like an hour later an hour then, okay yeah. so yeah so like even though it was only an hour for me the show had already been running for two hours yeah and it's hard to uh it's hard to, I mean, I, it'd been a long time since I've done that room, but it just any room in general is hard to keep an audience's attention for two hours. Yeah. They're going to get tired. It's, a, it's yeah. ideally a show lasts an hour and a half. 
anything beyond that you're gonna be really stretching it yeah to keep at least to keep people's attention yeah have them still be as enthusiastic as they were whenever and it's almost like the better the show the shorter it needs to be like the the more sophisticated the comedy the more brain power it takes to follow it but the more enjoyable it is but it's almost like you're cooked sooner yeah true. you know it's uh-huh. like with a thing with the open mics that just kind of go on and on they, they you can get a little extra time out of them because no one has to think that hard i mean they in a, in a sense they have to switch gears all the time but you know because every five minutes is a new comic but at the same time, it doesn't require as much of them because it's just not going to be as good, you know. Although there's some people that have really good stuff. I mean, there's there are some good comedians in Asheville. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And and sometimes they do their good work at an open mic like that, you know. Well, well, and well, and that's the other thing. That's why I always premise when I when I talk to people about open mics that are, they don't do comedy, is that uh, that be prepared that some of these people are really new and they're just not, you know, they're still work. First of all, they're still they're still uh, just building their material, and even the material that they have is barely tested because they're very new. And and then on the other side, you are going to have some more veteran comics, but a lot of them are going to be trying new material. So it's not, you know, that's why I, I like to temper people's expectations when I right. when I bring them to an open mic before uh, that they've never been to before. And then you know, if somebody actually does end up killing it there then great look you just exceeded your expectations right but totally. I, I just in general if you go to an open mic expect the worst you know maybe yeah. hope for the best but you know be ready for some pretty terrible shit yeah no for sure and that and it can be pretty hit or miss there um that was an interesting show last night there were a lot of quality people there because there was five guys who were on tour oh yeah and their show flops down at broadway and so they didn't have much of an audience, if anything. And so they came up to the open mic and then, uh, PD, who was the MC last night, put them up right in the heart of the whole night. Oh, okay. And so that's why those guys, you know, went up like five in a row. They were really good. Where are they coming in from? Do you know? Uh, they're on tour from somewhere. I don't know if it's Atlanta or, okay. I don't honestly know where they're from. I want to say Atlanta, but I'm not sure about that. I could, I was going to say that I didn't recognize anybody and I lived in Atlanta, but the thing is that Atlanta has such a big scene that they have a big turnover right like i as far as like the good comics move to either la or new york like I, when i go to atlanta now i barely recognize any other comics because a lot of the guys that i was that were there when i was there like like noah garden Swartz is in in new york andy sanford is in new york dave stone is out in la uh i mean and i could mention another 10 but so right. like like the better comics in atlanta usually end up moving so i don't even recognize who who the who, who the regulars are in Atlanta anymore? What made you leave Atlanta and go back to? Did you go back to Charlotte? Or did you go to New York first. I I wasn't I was in Charlotte for about six months before I moved to New York. Okay, I moved. It was just because I broke up with my girlfriend. Like okay. originally, uh, when we moved there, it was she got a transferred for her job. Okay, and I didn't oppose it because. I've never been a big fan of the Charlotte comedy scene and Atlanta I knew had a way better comedy scene so it was just like oh this is perfect you know you have to move I'd rather live there too so that's why I moved but then when we broke up I was like well I I guess if I'm gonna move ever it'll be now right so I spent about six months in Charlotte and just as I just trying to figure out the logistics of moving and shit finding a place all that and then I moved uh I think it was January of 
2014, I think. It's, yeah, January of 2014. Then I was there a year. And then, um, and that was what, that was New York. When did you go to New York? 2014. I moved to. I started in Charlotte. Then I moved to Atlanta in 2009, and then I moved to New York in 2014. Okay, from Atlanta, or you came to Charlotte for six months first? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's sure. right. I, yeah, just There's to kind of little, recap. And why? Uh-huh. And if you don't mind my asking, why did you leave New York? I left because I and I was doing some shows actually in North Carolina. And I ended up wrecking my car and getting a DUI. Mm. Like the, the, I didn't, I, I always explain it. And I don't know if people even believe me because they think I'm making excuses, but it really is true. It was just a torrential rainstorm and I had really old tires in my car because I couldn't afford to get new tires. And uh, so I hydroplaned and smashed my car. Unfortunately, I had just been coming back from a gig. Uh. So when they breathalyzed me, I, like I blew like a, like a 0.1, which really, not that for, much over no yeah. especially for how drunk i can get sometimes <laughs> you're like point one that's nothing that's you exactly. should have got me half an hour ago i know you should have right. seen how drunk i used to be but uh but yeah that's obviously that's enough yeah so i couldn't i couldn't deal with you know all the legal shit that comes from that and afford to live in new york city at the same time right. plus i had to like come back for court dates and uh like spent a day in jail all that stuff. So then I moved and I've been in Charlotte since then. My goal for a while has been to move. Like I, at, at first I didn't want to move to New York. I just don't like the living there. Just this, mm. I love the comics and they have a lot of great show. And, and I like being around other uh, creative people and, 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 and good stand-up comics. But, but the lifestyle I wasn't a big fan of. I don't, I'm not a big fan of loud places and, crowded crowds and like i like it like i like Asheville a lot you know there's yeah. a lot of nature and even though i don't even hike but i just like being able to look at a mountain yeah you know what i mean that's I true like the, i like the open spaces in new york city there's a building everywhere it's, yeah it's true so i didn't like the lifestyle so for a long time i was like nah fuck new york i'm not moving back there but now i'm like ah yeah i'd consider it and, and part of it too is just that all my friends live there now mm. either new york or la mostly new york uh so i kind of my my main motivation moved to either one of those two obviously is also because of the, the industry and all that shit but an um, even bigger part than that or or a part that's getting bigger is just being able to hang out with a lot of the friends that i don't see anymore right joe's there, there right joe zimmerman joe moved there he moved there like two years before i did so i think at this point he's been there about what five years i think mm. yeah he just did the Tonight Show. That was pretty great. Yeah, he did that uh, just like two weeks ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was awesome. I haven't met him, but I feel a kinship with him just because he's from here and he's like, you know, he's one of the local boys that's made it. And, mm-hmm. and when he does his material, I can, I don't know, I can like, I can imagine him doing it here as part of the scene, and I, I can just feel it. You know, it's he cool. had a, he was oh, I mean, obviously he's great. But uh, but I do I, I agree with that too. He's always had that style that he has. He's very uh, likable, and he's very clean too. He's a pretty clean comic. And when we started in Charlotte, it was you know Charlotte is fine. I mean Charlotte is is, is okay. I don't like the scene. I don't uh, the I've, I've always you know I've had issues with the with the club there throughout the years and and 
and it was always hard just to get them to you know embrace the scene right yeah. so when joe moved from charlotte because we I think, i'm trying to remember the timeline like I, we were roommates for about a year which i think was like 07 or 08 but then when he when our lease was up and i i moved to another place he moved here i was like yeah this is perfect for for the style of comedy that joe was doing to do to be based out of Asheville yeah for the time that he was here yeah no it's I think you can just feel it you know it's like it's a good fit um mm -hmm. but it's been great to watch him you know really flourish I haven't I didn't get to see him when he was here I went down to Charlotte that night for a yoga thing and by the time I came back he was sold out already and I wasn't able to get in and mm. and where uh, was that show? at the southern where you were last oh, night okay yeah is yeah. that basically where the shows are at now well it's one of the cool alt rooms you know okay. i mean uh the bigger shows are at the gray eagle the even bigger shows than that are at the orange peel and then okay. the bigger shows than that are thomas wolf or gotcha. or uh um diana wortham okay. diana wortham's like a thousand thomas wolf i think is 2500 or something and then the coliseum ten thousand. but i don't think i've seen a comedy show there i mean even jerry seinfeld did he did thomas wolf when he's been here a couple times okay so when there's well, what, what what was that other place that you said that the the Diana guys that, no, no the guys that were touring that you said they oh they were Broadways I didn't even know they did comedy there like I, what is that I don't bar? know some fucking place I have no idea huh. I've never been there yeah I've never been there so basically the booked shows are just at um I mean the the indie shows are the Southern right mostly the Southern some at the auditorium um I was about to open a room here in fact our our debut is supposed to be next weekend but that didn't happen so i mean it may still happen but i'm i don't know it's it's a cluster I've never, i haven't now. been to the auditorium i used to do uh the one pulp pulp the, yeah right there there's still open mics there yep. shows there yeah but it's erratic is it it's erratic and it's like a five dollar cover and it's seven if you're not a member and you know most of the open mics are free mm -hmm. and you're seeing the same comics i mean it's not like there's better people coming to pulp so I don't know how much longer that's going to survive. And there's a competing show that's opened on Thursday nights at exactly the same time. And it's every week at Habitat. And that's kind of getting off. That's kind of getting going. That's like they're doing their first book show on Friday. Wondering if, because um, there was a comedy club here, but it didn't last very long. I mean, I mean, I know there's been several along the years, but there was one that was open I think it might have been open when Joe was still living here. I could be wrong, but it was about four or five years ago. But it didn't last very long, which surprised me. I would think that Asheville could sustain at least one full-time comedy club. I mean, I think if, if they could, they'd have one. I mean, because Funny Business is here. Mm -hmm. Well, Funny and... Business was running that, that club. Oh, okay. Well, there was the mill room. They were running out of the mill room for a while. Mm-hmm and that was uh, like what a once a month though? that was once a month yeah. yeah and now they've moved that to the gray eagle now they do that show at the gray eagle. yeah yeah is so. it still supposed to be like super clean because at the mill i did it once and they were like oh yeah this kind of older crowd they want you to be clean oh i wasn't really i mean i toned it down but i wouldn't think at the gray eagle they would have that kind of restrictions no i mean i don't i mean i don't know why the mill room would have those restrictions it might have just been that funny business their mailing list is like older retired Asheville. okay you know maybe that's what it was the, yeah. what the, the mill room was was it like a brewery um was it a I big room like, let me it's ask. a it's a big room with like a blue stage 
It's like the stage is kind of on the corner. Yes, yeah, on the corner and the okay. bars on the right side. No, yeah, that's yeah. the place I did it. Yeah, yeah. I middled there. Yeah, who'd you who'd you middle for? Uh, I'm blanking out on his name. He's dude at a uh, Pittsburgh. Okay, I forgot. Funny yeah. guy. I just can't remember right now. Yeah, they get. I mean, anyone funny business brings in, you're probably gonna enjoy. It. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they got a huge roster and and well, they, they the, bring and in good people. The shows. I I only went there once at the the, the comedy club, and they had. Carl LeBove, who's a fantastic comic, and they were bringing in good comics. Uh, so I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I mean, and it could be, and it could be like, oh, the, just the, because it was in the downstairs of a restaurant. I think I can't remember where it was exactly, but I think it was in the downstairs of a restaurant. It might have just been that they had issues with the people that owned the building or the restaurant that didn't want to host the place anymore. Right. But. But yeah, it does seem to me that Asheville is a is a big enough happening town that you could do at least a Friday Saturday comedy club on a weekly basis. I would think so. I mean, if I if I wasn't involved in so many other businesses, I'd think I'd open one. You know. Yeah. I mean, try it. You know, and then then have the southern you know move move the southern mic to the club and you know just have everything happen out of the club right you know and all there's those... a decent scene here too right Isn't yeah there are a lot of comics here yeah yeah there's there's a, a growing number of comics um i mean i'm relatively new i've been doing it for a year and a half um but i'm a little older so you know I've, uh material wise I, I feel like my stuff's a little more developed and some and that's the feedback i get from mm-hmm. people um you know, I'm not up there talking about my penis and shit, <laughs> you know, um, not there's anything wrong with that, but you know, uh, but you just got different things going on when you're 47 than when you're 20. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I, that's another thing. Actually, that's the other thing I was going to trail off when I was talking about only having 30 minutes and needing more than that is I headlined last week, I think No, two weeks ago I, I in, uh, at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky, mm-hmm. they have a weekly comedy show there. And uh, I was headlining and I have some bits where I know that these kids are not going to get the reference. Right. Like I had, oh, like one, like I did la- last night at the show at the Gray Eagle, I do a bit where I mentioned uh, the Benny Hill show. Right. And there's no way that a 20 year old has any idea. Well, I mean, I guess you could somehow you know potentially but not enough of them yeah Yeah. i mean for certain no none of them grew up watching it right maybe they found it on youtube at best right but it's not like and it's also not like the benny hill show is uh in the news all the time or anything it's a pretty old reference that i knew these kids aren't gonna get so i just didn't do that bit altogether and then i have other bits where i mentioned like 80s television shows and i know they're not gonna know different strokes or even even I I have even have one bit, it's the same bit, but I also mention uh, Saved by the Bell, which is relatively new compared to Different Strokes, but right. still too old. Yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. if you're twenty years old, no, you haven't seen it. No, yeah, Saved yeah. by the Bell is yeah. That's How old the, are you? I'm thirty seven. You're thirty seven, so you're uh-huh. ten years younger than me. Yeah. So 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 I did so I couldn't do those bits. Fortunately, again, I mean it's not fortunate. I mean I guess if you do it long enough, you're gonna have enough material. Just period, but. But so I just replaced it with other stuff that right. I thought that they might understand a little bit better or just be able to relate to a little bit more. So the material you you did last night, I'm assuming this is the stuff that's going to be on your new album, right? Some of it, the, the, 
everything but the closing the thing i closed on that's on the first cd okay the first it's basically the first 10 minutes of the of what i did last night are going on the cd the last five are are what i closed the first cd with okay and so um without you know spoiling any of your material i mean you do some pretty edgy stuff like certainly issue wise you know Mm -hmm. um you you do rape jokes you do you know you and you talk about i like the fact that you talked about it too you're like you know you have to be able to make fun of this right you know it's like that's our job mm-hmm. and and i think it's so delicate and you know the more touchy the ground the better the material has to be uh-huh. and so i think you know i think you handle the material really well thanks um how, have you always been drawn to that kind of material? Like, how did you evolve to the point? I'm assuming I'm going to assume that you evolved to the point that your material became, you know, kind of what it is. But, um, cause like when you had your joke last night about the inside joke, you know, I don't know if that's new or not, but that's, oh, you know, oh, I did. Did I do that at the, at, at the, the Southern? Southern? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm glad. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Again, I drank a lot. Last yeah, yeah, night, well, you, so I, and you prefaced your Southern set with like, I think I drank too much between yeah. the gray Eagle and here. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I know that joke. Uh, actually that joke might go into the CD too, because I don't think it's on the first album. Okay. All right. But it's like, uh, well, go ahead. I don't know well, I mean, that's just, that's so that's sort of like a good-natured, yeah, you know, like play on words joke. You don't do a ton of those, but it's kind of nice that you throw them in every now and then. Like, well, that's the thing is, like, I I've always liked silly material and absurd comedy. Mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed. And even when I started, when I started the the big knock, if for lack of a better way of putting it, on what I was doing is that oh he you know he's he's got good jokes, but he sounds too much like Mitch Hedberg because mm. that was my uh at the time he was my favorite comic i still okay. love him but at the time he was really like the guy that i was like oh this guy's because i love the short one-liners so i used to write a lot of one-liners when okay. i was uh when i was uh starting out like if you it's funny because sometimes i'll run into guys that that there's still a couple that are still doing stand-up most of them as as it happens everywhere most most people that start doing comedy with you will eventually drop out but i'll run into guys that I haven't seen in a long time that haven't seen, I haven't seen them in a long time. They haven't seen me perform it. So they don't know that my style is completely different from when I started. Right. So they'll bring up like, ah, man, I love your one liners. You're, you're, you're like the one liner king. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. But I really don't haven't done that in ages. Yeah. Part of the reason that I stopped is just because it's really too, it was so fucking hard for me to remember 30 minutes of one liner. <laughs> I have a, my memory is just not that good. Yeah. So I, eventually I just started incorporating a lot of the shorter jokes into longer bits. But it was still, you know, it was still that kind of vein of absurdist, silly jokes. Eventually I started to gravitate more towards the edgy stuff just because. I've always been into that sort of thing. I've always been into like uh, music that's kind that's kind of rebellious or like like Rage Against the Machine is one of my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. I like I like that sort of music. I like I've always been into punk rock and anti authority uh, anti authoritarian if I can say that word uh, stuff. Right. You know, music, art, all that kind of thing. I like stuff that pushes boundaries. So eventually I started doing more of that material. But the thing is, when you start out, 
I think this is the case for most people, but especially for me, because I've always been very, very shy. I was always scared to death of doing any kind of public speaking or, or anything that involves, mm. you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I didn't have the confidence to deliver that kind of material. Like the shit that I did last night, there's no way I, I, I really don't think I could have pulled it off when I was less than even eight years in. Right. I mean, I think it, I think it might, it maybe even took longer than that for me to just be confident enough to do that kind of material. Because when you do do that kind of material, you got to be ready for blowback because some right. people are not going to like it. Some, I mean, I still run into it to this day where some people get offended at, at either the rape jokes or, or racial material or stuff like that. And if you're not, if you're scared when you get up there and you deliver that material with, with uh, uh, trepidation, is that the right Trepidation, word? yeah. Yeah, if you deliver it with trepidation, the audience can almost sense that. that. The audience can very easily sense if you're not confident in what you're doing and then they won't buy into it and then you're fucked. Especially if you're in that realm like right. of something really edgy, yeah. Yeah. Because that's true anyway. If you get up there and you're a deer in headlights, like the audience is, uh, fuck, you know. Yeah, and they'll smell but, blood. I mean, and they're either, at best, they're just going to tune you out. At worst, they'll come after you and start yelling at you yeah. and really getting. And if you don't know, if you're not ready to deal with that shit, it's not, it's, it's not going to be pretty. But so now I just, and just by, just, I think it's just a matter of, uh, I've been doing it long enough. That, that I can deal with these situations now, just like anything, you do anything for enough time, then you can, you become more accustomed or more comfortable doing that sort of thing. But I also still like the silly material. I still, it doesn't mean that because I do the edgier stuff that I think uh, the sillier or clean material is, is not worthwhile. Right. So that's kind of a thing that I've tried to balance. I mean, I was doing a relatively short set last night. I was only doing 15. But when I do 30 to 45 to an hour, when I do a long, long set, I do try to establish at some point that I like doing dark comedy. That's the kind of comedy that I like the best. Right. But that doesn't mean that I also don't appreciate, you know, just silliness. Right. And that's kind of, now that I, now that you brought it back up and I remember what I did at the Southern that's part of one of those bits that'll probably be on the CD as well, where I talk about, I like dark comedy, but that doesn't mean that I'm not a fun guy or I right, can yeah, just yeah. appreciate yeah. fun jokes, silly throw. I mean, I don't want to call them throwaway jokes, but it's just silly jokes that is right. No, there's no, there's no social point to these jokes or there's no, I'm not trying to make a bigger point. It's just fucking silly jokes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I have one of those in the middle of my dog joke where I, t I just say, you know, I say the fetch is great. And I've, I mean, I'm talking about my dog as this, you know, we're having this borderline inappropriate relationship. And, uh, and so when I say the fetch is great, it's an obvious, you know, uh -huh. play on words. And, and, and I'm like ashamed of it. Cause I don't, I, it's funny when I thought of the line, I'm like, I, it's funny. I think there, I think there's jokes like that. I mean, for years I would tell jokes that I mean, sometimes it's just like, it's just funny to me. I mean, I, it wouldn't get, most of the time it wouldn't get a big reaction, yeah. but it's just like, it's quick enough that fuck it. If these people don't like it, that's fine. Don't worry. I got other material. I can yeah. Right. Too. And you know, I like some crowds will love it and some crowds won't. And sometimes I'll say it just right, or I'll time it just right. Or where I put that line in the joke, I keep moving it around. Cause it was like my first punchline in that bit. 
but that bit's really evolved. Like I, I, I have that bit completely dialed in at this point. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you heard it in front of a room that didn't give a shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like I've told that joke and I usually close on it and it tags back to the beginning, you know, of the night. Like it, it's a real, um, it's a real callback to what was happening in the uh-huh. beginning. And I called it back last night cause I started the whole thing with the ex-girlfriend, you know, you're not gonna remember any of it cause you were too drunk. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I, the, the joke does call back to something else, but it's a pretty strong close. And I have that thing really dialed in now, but where I put that line, the fetch is great. I keep moving it cause it doesn't really go with the joke, uh-huh. but it was a part of the original one. And, uh, one of the guys at Comedy Zone, I did their comedy class, and one of the guys who, who's the guy who would book me if anybody books me, he okay. loves that line. So it's almost like I keep it in for him. <laughs> uh, but um, it is, it is, but it is tricky though, especially to do silly stuff when you do dark material. It's hard to, a lot of people, like that's why I consciously or, or like stated explicitly when I do that bit that yeah. I like Dharma too. Like I'm basically word. There's nothing funny about the explanation. I'm just basically telling you this because it's really, it's, I guess for lack of a better way, uh, way of putting a jarring to the audience when you're talking about, I don't know, butt fucking, and then you drop a silly pun about whatever. Right. Cats. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, wait a second. Why don't you just, is this the same person? Like yeah. it, it'd be kind of like if you, cause you see, if you see Stanhope and then he starts, drop in one liners it's just not his style right. it's just it wouldn't mesh well with what he does and so it's it is a thing and i'm and and, uh, and i by no i don't i don't have it figured out at all i don't have it figured out yet but i am trying to you know at least uh be able to insert it into my set that yeah we're gonna have some silly jokes in here too it's not gonna be all uh, social commentary or racism or, or rape jokes or whatever it's right. going to be uh intermingling of all that stuff have you seen neil brennan's special three mics no i highly recommend it okay um because he handles this issue really interestingly where he set up three completely different microphones and and it goes totally black between when he goes from mic to mic oh, okay and and then he so it, when it lights up he's at a different spot and even when the show starts, he just, the light goes on and he's standing at the mic. He doesn't come on. There's no entrance. There's no okay. nothing, as I recall. And uh, at one mic, he does one-liners from cue cards. Like, because like okay. you said, you can't remember them all. Like, right. he's reading them from cue yeah. cards. And and then there's another mic where he does sort of more traditional stand-up. And then there's a third mic where he does this really deep, painful, emotional stuff about being oh, bipolar yeah. and his dad or whatever, you know. Um and and so by having the three mics, it gives him permission and the audience an understanding mm-hmm. that when he switches to one of these things, he's switching gears. Yeah, that's interesting. It was really effective. Yeah, that's it was an interesting device because I've seen I've seen comics do a thing like where they'll be like, well, okay, and they'll even like say it tell the audience. I mean, I guess you would have to, but they'll be like, okay, they do their set, and then they're like, all right, now I'm gonna do this character I call the dude or whatever something right. like that and then they'll whatever they'll put some sunglasses on or a mustache and then now they do the like uh they'll pretend like they're a stoner telling one-liners right right but they basically have to create a new character to tell these other jokes just because it just doesn't fit 
in whatever. I, and I and I hadn't even thought about you know the more confessional comics. I, like and to an extent that's what Doug does because everything he talks about is real, like shit right. that actually happened. He's not making up anything, any of that stuff. Or guys like Mark Marin or stuff like that, where they're they're really talking about their lives and they're very you know confessional and talk about their whatever uh, issues they have, uh, depression or anxiety or whatever. And you you know if you're doing that again you can't it's you can't just transition into stoner humor it's right just, it's gonna be it doesn't gonna make any it's not gonna make any sense at least to the end and it might be funny all of it might be funny but it's just it's very hard to do those two things without acknowledging the fact that you just did something completely out of you know that wasn't that doesn't go with what you've been doing yeah because you've established a character yeah and so they feel like they know you and now you become this other person uh-huh if you do it without telling them, I, I get it. Like they're not going to f- understand what happened. And, the, and, it, and it works and, and vice versa too. Like if you saw Mitch Hedberg or, you know, if he was still alive or if you see Stephen Wright uh, and he's doing him, you know, Stephen Wright, Stephen Wright jokes, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden he breaks that breaks to like, yeah, I've been dealing with a lot of anxiety lately, you know, and I broke up with my guy. Like, wait, what? Yeah. Right. You're, to, you're just being real all of a sudden. No, you're yeah. that guy with the monotone voice that does the jokes that you can't, you can't all of a sudden be Mr. Yeah, confessional. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, check out Neil Brennan's thing. I, I think, will. I, I, think, I like. I, I I like to check that out. Yeah, and it's good. I mean, the whole all the materials like excellent. You know. Okay. Um, no, he's very funny. Yeah, I, I haven't seen his stand up, but I mean, just from other stuff that I. Well, he was Dave Chappelle's number Dave one writer Chappelle. for a long time. I used so. to be a fan, and I guess I still am. I just haven't seen him a lot of time of his of his brother, his older brother Kevin Brennan. Mm. He's very funny as well. So how did you get started? Like you said, you did a competition. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to do that? Like, well, originally it was just that, uh, like I said, I always was scared to death to do any kind of public speaking. Like I've always, the way I always put it is I'm in school. If I knew in advance that I'd have to do like a presentation in front of the class, I would be sick that day. Mm. Like I'd be planning. All right. I'm not showing up that day because I don't want to do this. Wow. So I always hated, and people would like you know, friends and stuff would say like, "Oh, you're funny. You should do stand up." But I'm like, "Thanks, but there's no way." I always would write ideas, funny ideas, just because I thought like, "Oh, maybe one one of these days I could like maybe be a writer, like a writer for mm-hmm. like Conan or something like that." But I never thought I'd perform. But then it was basically like a combination of like, I was going through a lot of shit. Like I broke up with a a girlfriend. And uh, I was having issues at school with one of the professors in college. And I think a relative died. I mean, it's been a long time, but I knew it was a confluence of a lot of shit going on at the same time. So I was just like so down and out that I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll give this shit a try, you know? Right. So I, I didn't know. I, I don't think most people know how you start in stand up. I had no clue. So I just went to the comedy club's website and I saw they had a comedy competition. So I was like, okay, I guess this is how you do it. So I signed <laughs> up. And uh, it was to be the winner would get a, a week booking at a, on a cruise ship. I think it was. The, oh, my God. Yeah. They used to call them the Carnival Cruise Challenge uh, is what because the, they did them all over the country. Right. And uh, and they had a, there was a preliminary that was close to the public. It was just the comics and the judges where mm-hmm. they would pick 10 to do the, the next round, which was open to the public right. and all that. So because it was set up that way, everybody. Uh, I, I don't want to say bombing, 
because they're really nobody was getting any laughs basically because you're just performing for three judges and a room full of comics that are either not paying attention to your set because they're working on their own set right or even if they're paying attention uh, a lot of times comics are the hardest people to make laugh oh yeah and especially they, if you're in competition with them they're not going to make you look yeah good. exactly they're not going to have any motivation to, yeah. you know if that's the case but you know even in general comics are just hard to make laugh so every single person that was going up basically was dying if you just judge it by by reaction right so when i went up and i didn't and i, I got like two laughs i was like oh great this is like you got two more than anybody else yeah yeah you know it, it, so it didn't it didn't even though it, it wasn't great since everybody else was also eating a dick it was you know it didn't right. discourage me from doing it again i was like all right well I did just as good as the other guys. Then you see them the next day, the guys, the 10 guys that made it to the next round. And, you know, they were all solid comics. Mm. All three. And I eventually ended up meeting several of them and becoming friends with them, you know, through the years. But that was my first time. So it wasn't discouraging enough for me to be like, okay, I'm never doing this again. But it did take me, it, it took, took, took me three months to go to an open mic. But that was, I think that was mainly because I had no idea what else to do because there were no open mics the comedy club didn't have an open mic oh okay so i was like i don't know what else eventually I, I looked through the through the independent magazine there in charlotte the one that i was talking about earlier creative loafing and there was a little ad in the classified that said open mic comedy call this number and i called the guy and he told me where it was and and that's that's that i mean i think that was like october of 2005 and then I just kept doing the open mics, kept doing the open mics. Eventually, some of the pro comics, guys that were getting some work, started stopping by the open mic as well. And so through that, I got some MC spots at the comedy club. And then from the MC spots, I met other pro comics, like this, especially this guy, Kerry White, who unfortunately doesn't do it anymore. But he... He would get headlining gigs and that would allow him to bring an opener sometimes. So he would bring me, he brought mm. me on the road probably before I was ready. But I mean, that's another thing. And I was going to say that earlier when you were talking about working on your 30 minutes is that uh, the only way to get good at featuring or headlining is by featuring or headlining. Yeah, right. You know, it's kind of a trial by fire. Like you're in basically inevitably not going to be a very good feature when you start. But you're never going to get to be a good feature if you don't feature. Totally. You got to yeah. do it. And that's also going to mean that maybe some of these places where you first feature are not going to want to have you back. I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a couple of places that or will probably. I've never been back since I was there. And they probably won't have me back unless I become famous or some shit. Right. But it, and I don't, you know. I can't really blame them because I probably wasn't a very good feature at that right, point. Right, sure, yeah. But I had to take the gig. I wasn't going to turn down the gig because that's what makes you, you know, first of all, I mean, obviously it's what I want to do. I want to be able to, at that, especially at that point, I wanted to be able to do comedy on the road. But also you got to do it just for your, to become a better comic. Well, I had an interesting experience. I uh, featured for Julie Scoggins mm -hmm. in Greenville. Okay. And at the Comedy Zone. And I know Julie from Hendersonville. Okay. When she came, I was hosting the shows there when she performed here. So okay. we, we became friends. She did the podcast and stuff. If, if, I know you don't like to listen to podcasts, but no, I I'd, I'd um, like to. It's just I don't. Well, listen I mean, to I don't mean you don't like to, but I mean you don't have time. So, but but if you have a chance, that mm -hmm. interview with her is really really great. And okay. I'm assuming you know her from. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, you. so you might enjoy it just as like you know okay, hearing cool. a friend of yours. 
Uh, so because I developed this relationship with her, you know, she invited me to come feature down there and I had just done my graduate set from comedy zone. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'd already been doing comedy for a year and a half before I took the class, but, uh, I thought more people would be like that, but everyone else there was their first time ever doing comedy. Yeah. So she invited me to feature and I knew that like that, that material would be solid. Um, and I had a couple other things that I'd been working on for a while that are funny, but I was kind of trying to, I was trying to beef it out, you know, and they just aren't as dialed in as this main body of work that I have. Mm -hmm. And even the main body of work that I have that's pretty dialed in did not fully land with this crowd. You know, her crowd is kind of, you know, not that she's right wing, but her, a lot of her fans are. Right. Yeah. And, you know, my material is a little more intellectual and, you know, you kind of have to. I mean, I'm Jewish and I talk about that. Mm -hmm. None of these guys, there were no Jews oh, in the no. audience, not, <laughs> not even imagine. one, you know? Yeah. And every once in a while I'll get to a point with the audience. I'm like, am I the only one in here with a Jewish mother, you know, or am I the mm -hmm. only Jew in here? And it'll be silent. And I, and I'll say, well, silence is what anti-Semitism sounds like. <laughs> and then I'll move on, you know? And they usually laugh at that. Like it's, okay. it's an uncomfortable laugh, but, but they're, um, I, I ran into that a lot when I started out because I started in Charlotte and the comedy zones based out of Charlotte. So I know the guys that booked those, the, the comedy, I've known those guys forever. Well, since I started Joel and Len, Joel, Len and Hef, the guy that, owns oh, Hef, it. Right, yeah. uh, and, and when I first started working for them, um, they had road, they had a couple of, uh, MC gigs, the paid MC gigs on the road and they put you up, which again is, which actually, this is another, it's actually kind of another subject but bring it well it's though the the comedy landscape is different now than it was when i started like i'm i hear stan hope talk about it a lot where like comics ask him for advice and he's like listen i i don't know because i when I, I he started 25 almost 30 years ago right he's like the world is completely different now i can't tell you what to do now because it's not and even and i don't you know i have only been doing it for uh 11 but even now it's still different because when I started, there were, you can actually get paid to MC on the road and get a hotel room. Mm. You know, like they had Johnson City, Tennessee, and we would host there about, you know, four times a year or whatever. Or, or Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, they had a room there where you could MC. Before that, they, I even hear, hear stories about comics being flown in to MC gigs. You wow. know what I mean? Like back when the boom was going or yeah. when, when comedy was really hot. So it's gone from, it went from like, okay, they don't, they're not going to fly you out. And then eventually it became where, okay, we're not paying the MCs to eventually a lot of places don't even have MCs. Right. To now, then they go to the feature, and then I was like, okay, we're not even, we're not even bringing in features from out of town. We're just losing local features or, or, or we're not going to give you a hotel room to feature. Right. Eventually, it, it's almost like it's going to be like, well, we're only going to have a headliner and just put a bunch of locals to open for the headliner just because we don't, you know, they're trying to pay as little as possible for these shows. It's what's. Yeah. That's what Julie's gig is. I mean, I think she gets a little more money, and in exchange, she has to find her own feature. And of course, there's a bunch of people like me who are happy to do it mm -hmm. for the opportunity. I remember, and, and that's the thing too, is like, I remember when I started out in Charlotte, the, there was a comedy zone that opened up in, in Matthews, which is a little suburb of, of uh, Charlotte. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there was a comedy zone there and I used to MC there and I forget exactly how much it paid, but it paid 
let's say $150 to MC the anywhere between, between between 150 and 200 something like I for forget. a night for no for, for a the weekend. weekend it was Thursday okay. Thursday Friday Saturday okay. and eventually they stopped paying because I mean basically they knew that there were enough comics in town that would do it for free right and so I stopped doing it at that point but it doesn't matter if I stop doing it if there's 20 other comics that'll do it for free right so that's the that that's kind of what annoys me about a lot of clubs that are doing that sort of thing is that they're only doing it because they can get away with it and that's the worst reason to do anything right to do to to, you know you can get away with it so that's why i'm going to do it so that i have issues with that i mean again like i said like i was saying that's a that's a whole different story i'm not even sure how we got into into that I don't know. It doesn't matter. Well, okay. But yeah, I mean, and there's other clubs that have done that too. I mean, when I first moved to uh, Atlanta, I lived really close to the Laughing Skull Lounge. And it's a great club. And uh, uh, and they always got really good comics there. But they didn't pay the openers. They never paid the other. They just used a bunch of locals. Right. And, uh, and, they, and then they would have a resident MC is what they would call it. So it'd be the same MC for the month. Which is really cool if you are local, but at that point I was already on the road and then basically making my living from doing road comic comedy. So I, I was never, I, I, I was never able to do it. Like Marshall, the owner offered it to me once, but I was like, I can't afford to take a month off. Totally. To no pay. Right. And, and I think, I think now he pays a little bit to the openers. I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't done it in a long time. But uh, my point is, I don't think it's ever too cocky to say that you're worth more than zero dollars. Yeah. You know, like you're doing some work. You still have to show up. You're still getting up on that stage and, you know, performing for these people. There should be some compensation for that. Totally. But it's just a lot of places just don't, man. Basically, just the headliner and some some places won't even put up the headliner. It'll just be get your own hotel room yeah i know i mean especially some of the bigger headliners i mean they make enough money i think it's part of sort of like rolled into their pay They're like we're going to pay you a thousand bucks a night or whatever and, and then you, you just deal with everything own. you know mm-hmm. um so they're booking their own flights and you know they're on hotel.com or whatever right you know uh trying to get some cheap deal i like i personally because when comics ask me again like advice about how to get on the road and stuff like that again it's like I, like I said it's different now when i started you can go on the road to mc there's no way you're going to find a road mc gig these days right uh but uh but the best way and i think it's still true is if a headliner can bring their own feature and then they bring you and hopefully you do well enough that the club was like okay yeah we'll book you right again you know even if you're not with whoever the headliner is that brought you uh, but the other way, the other ways are just, you know, sending videos and stuff like that. But that's literally, uh, oh, man, I talked to Len. He said he gets 30 to 50 videos. A yeah. Day. That's, that's the, that's the worst possible. I mean, uh, in the ranking of, in the rankings of ways to try to get in with a booker, I would put that at the very, very bottom. Yeah. Like the best is the guy, if the, if the headliner brings you second best, maybe if you do a guest spot like if you're mm-hmm. traveling through town and do a, a guest spot at a show where the actual 
owner or manager or booker is actually paying attention and sees right. you and they like you, then they'll be like, okay, yeah, send me your avails or something and, you know, we'll get you a date. That would be this. But even that's not guaranteed. I, I've done guest spots before where I've gotten nothing out of them. And if all that fails, then I guess send a video. But I mean, again, you're lucky if they even pay any attention to it because yeah. they get so many. And honestly, I just, I think a lot of these bookers just don't care. I think they're like, we got our people. Yeah. We don't want to fuck with anything else. Well, and everybody, you know, new people are demanding. Mm -hmm. I have all these lists of, you know, well, I need this. And I'm like, you mean you need this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, when I started, you know, because I, I started booking comics for this room that I was supposed to have. I really hope that happens or something like it happens. I want to, I want to have a room for a little while. And, but when I had that going, it was like, you know, people were starting to reach out to me, some of whom, you know, I'm definitely going to put them on. These are guys I've been performing with for a year, year and a half. I look up to them, some of them, or now I look across at them, some of them, you know, but I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't look down at any of them. These guys have been at it for a while and they're good and I like them mm -hmm. and they're friendly. And, and that's a huge thing for me is the people have to be cool. You know? Oh yeah. I don't care how good the people are. If they're assholes, I'm not going to go out of my way to put them on a show. I just don't care. Mm -hmm. And, um, but you know, then there's some guys coming up to you going like, Oh, Hey, I really want to, I heard you open a room. I want to do this. I'm like, you know, so I, I set it up so there'd be a showcase followed by an open mic. Mm -hmm. And that way I didn't have to say no to anybody. Oh, okay. And I said, you know, yeah, come to the open mics, you know? And when I see that you've got 10 solid minutes, I'll put you on a showcase. Yeah. I think that's fair. You know? And then, then I'm, I feel like I'm not being a dick, you know, it's my show. I'm going to, I'm going to curate it. I'm responsible for it. And I'm saying, you know, yeah, come, let me watch you develop, you know, and, and, and I think that's reasonable. I think you have to earn your way onto a showcase. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So. I think that's fair. I mean, it, the, what's on, what's unfortunate, I think sometimes is that some clubs will have, will have open mics or will have kind of showcase shows, uh, which, you know, which would serve that purpose but then the nobody from the club pays attention right like the booker's never there like right. I've, I've heard stories of friends of mine that traveled four hours to do a set at a club to try to get in with the club and there was nobody at the club paying right. attention so they just basically drove four hours for nothing because there was nobody there to actually nobody that booked paid any attention to what they did yeah yeah well i mean i'm i'm I don't know. My, my general nature is to build relationships with people. So I have a handful of, you know, Charlotte comedians. It's a small hand. It's not probably not even a whole hand full. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll bring you on. So Julie and Janet Williams, she's in, uh, she's out of Chattanooga, but, um, and Spanky Brown, he's put me on a show before and says he'll put me on more. I mean, I believe right him. On. He's, he's I haven't nice seen guy. Spanky. Is he in Charlotte? He's in Charlotte. Yeah. It's funny. He's been in Charlotte for a minute now, but I, I haven't seen him in years. He's a great dude. Yeah. Spanky's fantastic. Yeah, everybody loves him. Um, so, you know, I'm, I feel like I'll, you know, I, and I ask a lot of questions. I'm like, you know, what do I need to do? Well, that's what you got to do. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's why I always feel like if any comic, like if a new comic is asking, you know, whatever, a, 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 a more veteran comic questions and the, and, the, and the veteran comics acts like an asshole or doesn't want to answer the questions, then they do just being an asshole because every comic did that. Right. You know, every comic that's 
you know, been doing it for 20, 10, 15, 30 years, they were asking questions at some point. Right. Now it's your turn to answer the questions. Yeah. Don't be a dick about it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that, so that's why I don't think there's anything wrong with new comics asking questions. That's the only, only way you're going to fucking find out how to do any of this shit. Yeah, I felt like taking that comedy school, I mean, that helped me a lot. Like, I know people look down on it, and I don't really care what people what think. What did you feel that you got out of it? Um, well, so it was a little different for me than some of the other people, because a lot of the stuff that they said, like in the first night, they answer the hundred most commonly asked questions about comedy. Most of those questions I had figured out on my own through trial and error mm-hmm. and hard knocks. Uh, you know... The biggest thing that I got out of that was I learned how to stay focused on a small body of work until it was awesome. Like really dial it down, dial it down, dial it down, trim it, add something where it needed it, take it back out if it didn't. Like, you know, I had material that I've been getting what I would now call chuckles on for a year. But now it gets real laughs. Like, you know, I had several uh, 20 second applause breaks during my show, you know, at a first time, sh- you know, comics. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't my first time. But I mean, you know, I've never had 20 second applause breaks before. And, you know, where people are applauding in addition to clapping, like yeah, that's yeah. like a next, you know, so. Uh, and now when I do that set in other places, it shines above what most people are doing uh-huh. because they're either they they don't realize like this is a showcase I should be doing my best work right now they're kind of still treating it like an open mic um so there's that and also they just haven't uh been as disciplined about their material as I was forced to be oh right for that show yeah i can understand that cuz i mean i've never taken a class i've sat in a few but I've never actually taken one. But I can see that aspect of it where if it... Because some people, and I'm, I'm probably one of those people too, need a, that uh, accountability. You know, they need yeah. to be like, otherwise, shit's not going to get done. You know, yep. it's kind of like when they... I just had to, like I, I told you, I actually had to write that article last week. And I had to put it... The, they gave me... They told me on Thursday that I had to turn it in by Monday. And then just having that deadline really focuses you on actually getting it done yeah where if it had been like ah yeah you know sometime next week i would have procrastinated the whole week and just try to cram it in on whatever last second but but yeah i can see if you're doing taking a class you know week after week you are expected to write or or edit or whatever it is that your you know homework is then that yeah that can give you a, a discipline that's helpful i wish i had i've never had that discipline like i tell people sometimes like living with when i live with joe and and even you know just later on in life when i would run into him or and stuff he was always pretty disciplined about writing like yeah like he stayed with me in atlanta once and he was like hey you want to get up tomorrow morning and go to starbucks do some writing and i'm like i probably won't wake up till 1 p.m man i don't know <laughs> i ended up waking up just because you know I, joe was there so I was like sure i'll roll with you but that was his mo i mean he would right. i don't know if he still does that but at that point he would just you know get up do some writing and i wish i had that discipline i've done it a, a handful of times where i've actually sat down to write and it's it's been good i can't say that it wasn't that i didn't do get some productive uh 
bits out of that or tags and stuff uh, small little edits i just lack that discipline i just can't i don't seem to be able to get myself to actually get up early in the morning and sit down in front of a piece of paper to write or yeah. a computer i just most of my writing i do uh like when it comes to me when i come to when a funny idea comes to me i'll write it down and then right. eventually flesh it out when i do an open mic or something but i very very rarely sit down in front of a computer or a piece of paper to write so you do your writing on stage i don't no not necessarily because i i wait like if i the, the way i do it if i have a funny idea i write it down on a little piece of paper and then eventually i put it on a notebook and then when i do open mic I'll um, I'll look at my notebook and I'm like, oh, okay, there's that funny idea, and then I'll 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 think I'll, I'll 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 think of how to deliver it uh, that day before I do the open mic. Mm. So I'm not really doing it on stage because I've heard some comics say that where they're like, I just get up on stage and that's where I work out my material. I have it prepared, yeah, but it's only been prepared for about two hours okay. before I hit the open mic. I don't actually write it i've never i've never actually written out one of my sets word for word hmm. it's always just a general idea that was the other thing that they made sure we did at comedy zone at the comedy school was memorize you had to memorize 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 like i memorized my set and you can see when you get to the end i because at that point my dog joke was still new that was the one brand new piece i wrote from start to finish for mm -hmm. that whole event everything else was older stuff that i'd that I honed and repurposed and they helped me, they helped me make it a lot better, mm. you know? Um, and anyway, so when I get to that piece, I kind of forgot, I went fully blank on stage for what felt like 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. I've watched it. It's a second and a half or, yeah, but yeah. it's a noticeable pause compared to everything else. Uh -huh. And, and then even then I kind of blow the, you know, the lead into the whole thing about, you know, the, the foot fetish and all the stuff that, that the jokes about. And, you know, I mean, I eventually I gain momentum, but I never fully get it back. And like a friend of mine who's been, you know, like you, he's been at it for like 10 years or so. He watched the set and then he called me and critiqued it and gave me some feedback. And mm -hmm. he said, yeah, the dog joke at the end, I can tell you're still working on that. You know, mm -hmm. the other stuff he could tell I'd, I'd had it. Okay. Yeah. And so that was the first time that I ever did a show where I had memorized, memorized, memorized everything I was doing. And that made a big difference. I, I'm terrible at that. I mean, I wish I, I was, and I wish I had a better memory, but I can't, I can't memorize anything word for word. But what does it eventually happen is that I do a bit enough times that it just becomes second nature. Like I just become, right. I just like, I just memorize it just by repetition. Sure. Uh, to the extent sometimes that I, I think sometimes I get to uh, married to a way of telling a certain joke where if I thought about it a little bit more, I could maybe, uh, reword it or, or put it in a, in a way that's clearer or something like I, again, because of this album, I've been going over these bits that I want to put on the album and there's several that I um, like the I told the joke last night about uh, that I love NASCAR. Like right. I think yeah, I, yeah, my yeah. I like, like that whole bit. I used to actually originally when I when I would tell that joke, uh, 
I would say I would be making fun of NASCAR. I mean, I still kind of am making fun of NASCAR, but yeah. I but I approach it from another angle now. You approach it from a fan, like from, so, as a yeah. fan. Uh huh. Yeah. Whereas before, it was more just more mocking NASCAR right. altogether. Where I think it's funnier to approach it from from this perspective. But uh, for years, I mean, I don't know how long that. That's one of my oldest. Well, I mean, it's been changed a lot. But but talking about the the whole talking about NASCAR is something that I've done for for years and for years I was just doing it the same way, over and over and over, right. you know, for however long I was doing that bit, you know, bits come and go. Sometimes I'll sure, play. like well, that was one of the more interesting things that I found as I was doing comedy for longer. People would would bring up bits that I don't do anymore, right? Like old material, like because for years there was no old material. It's just it's material. All, <laughs> yeah. It's just what I have. Yeah. So when people would bring up like, yeah, that joke with the ninjas, I'm like, oh yeah, I I forgot that I even told that joke. So so it's funny to uh, you know see old material or, or rehear old material. I just recently again because of the CD. I normally am not this disciplined. Like I'm, I think I'm coming across like I do a lot more work than I actually do when I really don't. I don't think you're coming across that way. Okay, good, good. <laughs> you're coming I, across as doing as little work as okay, you actually. Good. I don't do, want to yeah. give people the wrong impression. No, I don't think that's happened. Okay, yeah, yeah. but uh, uh, I uh, not that it's a good thing. <laughs> I don't encourage being lazy. But uh, but I have listened to old sets, really, really, really old sets yeah. uh, that I just recorded on a little handheld recorder that I had, and I would listen to some bits where I'm, where that are on my first CD now. They're on the first CD, right. but I'm listening to versions of that joke from like five, six years before it was on the album. And I was like, oh wow, that's I, re- I really told that joke differently, or 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 it would be like just one line whereas right. once it got to that album it had like three four tags right or it was pre or the premise was longer but it's, it was it's very interesting to see the those jokes in their rawest form when i first first yeah. started telling them one of the things that i've noticed like i have this bit um it's all autobiographical so you know last summer i dated this much younger woman and and i tell the story about it and then some different things that came out of that relationship and I've noticed that the audience really ultimately doesn't want to hear that I dated a girl half my age. <laughs> and so, but there's still some pieces that were really funny. And so now I think I'm trying to figure out how to, how to just tell those bits and just throw away the stuff that, yeah. even though I'm attached to it, because mm-hmm. I'm attached to the truth about it, uh-huh. it's just not that important. Like what's important is the piece of the joke that is irrefutably funny. Right. And then you know let the rest go i i uh, i don't want to say struggle but i do think about that sometimes with bits that i have where i feel the premise uh kind of takes too long or or like because the premise of the setup i should say the setup takes too long or stuff so sometimes like maybe i just cut that hole out just get to the funny part you know what i mean yeah which you know it's more of a boom boom mentality like hit him with a joke hit him with a joke hit him with a joke but i i also also like the fact that the way that i'm telling some of these bits that i'm talking about the way that i'm setting them up makes it more conversational right cuz i like that aspect of it too i like being able to be on stage and approach the audience as if we're having a conversation which we really are not you're you know yeah. i don't want the audience talking to me <laughs> but I want it to be like, yeah, you know, we're talking like, I'm just telling a buddy a story or like, or just a very, I think it's a more natural way. Most people 
when they're in the conversation are not constantly hitting you with one joke after another. Right. You know, I mean, right. obviously, it's a whole different setting. But I think I prefer the approach of making it more conversational, even though your laughs per minute or whatever are not going to, you know, be astronomical because you're taking your longer. But I like I like the 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 the, you know, the, the mood that it sets. Right. Or that it says like, okay, this is we're all it's kind of a story. Obviously, it's got to be funny, you know. Right. Once you get to the joke, it's got to be funny if you're spending that much time. Yeah, on it's got to pay the, off even bigger. It's got to pay off. But I like that. I personally like that style. That that style for me. But obviously, there's other comics that are just all about boom, boom, boom. Every every 15 seconds, every 30 seconds, there's a laugh. There's a laugh, which is great too. Yeah. I mean, it's very entertaining. I just prefer the more conversational approach. What I'm trying to do right now is because I'm with you. I like the conversational approach. I'm a storyteller mm -hmm. by nature. My family, it's all conversational cul-de-sacs, you know, we get mm -hmm. lost in its details. And I'm trying to go back and then be like, how can I find something? How can I say that in a way that it's funny all along the way? Right. So it's still conversational, but I'm also bringing up my oh, yeah. LPMs. Oh, and that's <laughs> the key. That's the yeah. key is that if you're telling a story, because a lot of comics will tell me that it's like i just really want to get into stories joe zimmerman was a big big into when we started out about trying to figure out how to be able to how to tell how to be good at telling stories right. like be more of a storyteller and that is the key is that you gotta have there's gotta be some humor to it along the way and right. even the, the setups that i'm talking about that i that i think the setups could be shorter i still insert some humor into that right. like and they're not the killer like you know burst uh, laugh out loud uh jokes in the setup but they're little chuckles here and there so you keep that you know you do you do want to keep that mood going that it's still funny and they're still you know you're still inserting jokes uh but uh uh well i guess my point is you know it just depends on what your approach is going to be because otherwise if it's not funny at all uh, then you're just well uh, you're doing a one-man show, which is something right. different. You know what I mean? Like you could it's just not stand up. Yeah, it's not stand-up comedy. Yeah. Stand-up comedy requires laughter. Otherwise, you know, not that there's anything wrong with doing a one-man show. No, but, but it's, it's a, a different whole, art it's a form. Different art form. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm with you. Yeah, totally. So, um, so I know you got to go. So we'll we'll sort of wind down in a minute. Um, but I'm curious if you don't mind me asking you, it's a little bit personal, but mm. you mentioned it. So that's the only reason I'm, I'm bringing it up and you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. Um, but early on when I asked you if you perform, if you drink when you perform, you said, you know, you suffer from anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just kind of curious about that because the more comedians I talk to, the more I realize a lot of people in comedy seem to be dealing with something. Sean Patton's really open about his OCD mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that Julie Scoggins revealed anything particularly, uh, personal in that way, but, um, I'm just, I'm fascinated when it comes up, like, uh, do you have any insight around that? Is that a piece of what, I mean, you said you're like afraid to talk in public. So there was kind of that piece of like mm -hmm. almost dared yourself to go do it. Uh -huh. um, does that inform your comedy at all? Or do you feel like you're, I don't know. How, what's uh, the relationship 
in there and where do you think I, that comes from well i've suffered for well i first i suffered for of uh depression mostly it was just depression the anxiety came more after i started doing stand-up i guess just because man it, it'll give you anxiety you know what i mean yeah uh but uh but i i mean as far as it informed my comedy i maybe more now than before because uh, again like when i started out i was doing more like the one-liners and the absurd jokes and i wasn't really talking about anything personal on stage not that i really was against it but it was just like it wasn't something that i was doing now i i talk a little bit more about my personal feelings about things which a lot of times are negative or pessimistic or some people uh, you know can consider it pessimistic but i'll talk about i didn't do any of it last night but i'll talk about suicide and stuff like darker subjects like that i haven't really done any and I, and i do plan on it because it's just i've have because i've had to deal with it so much in the last year uh about anxiety and depression uh i don't feel though that because i because i i know i've also heard that and just because i know a lot of comics a lot of comics deal with a lot of mental health issues right uh I, you know, I have to, I've, I've dealt with uh, uh, anxiety and depression. I was on Prozac for a long time, which is what kept, kept me level. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't have what, because uh, I've heard this from some comics that, like I had one uh, friend of mine that went on Prozac and he was like, man, I, I just, I don't write anymore, man. I don't, you know, I, mm. it's just like it kind of shot his creativity, his, his creativity. Uh, he kind of had like writer's block after he was got on medication so it was almost he it was he was almost making it sound that he needed whatever that edge that that whatever anxiety or depression provided right. to be able to perform or to be an artist i I haven't found that depression has helped me at all okay. or anxiety <laughs> no I, yeah. like I would much rather not have to deal with it than have to deal with it i mean not, i mean i still have to deal with it it's not like when i was on prozac i was mr happy or, or you know like fun times but it was just at least you know give me a level ground where i can deal better with uh, a lot of just everyday life so now because i've been on the off the prozac for about a, almost a year now uh it's it's made it entirely harder to do stand-up to the point where i I've been telling uh, some of my close friends that I don't know if I can do road comedy for much longer because it's getting too trying physically, mm. physically for one thing, because I'm older. So the, the longer drives just take a, a harsher toll. Yeah. And it's, well, and you know, not that it's not still fun to do stand up, but it's not as thrilling as it was right. when I was two years in, you could be like, oh, there's a gig in the upper peninsula of Michigan uh it's only one night i'll be like fuck it we're driving 17 hours yeah yeah just because i wanted to get away and do road comedy and right and i still do but it's just physically more demanding and then mentally especially it's just way too trying uh right now for me to, to uh, the anxiety is getting to be almost too much to handle even with good shows i mean mm. i can understand being anxious about shit shows but like going into a show that you know is going to be good and you're still anxious that's that's a little too much mm. you know like I, I was okay last night but i've had shows before that one before the one with doug where i was like oh this is going to be a cakewalk of a show 
Because some shows you know are going to be shit going into right. them. Like if you're at a biker bar in rural Arkansas and the owner's drunk, you know that's yeah. going to be a shit show. Yeah. But some are like theater shows, which is just a cakewalk, but I'm still like super anxious. My heartbeat is through the roof. So I, 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 I guess to answer your question, it doesn't really, the depression and the anxiety doesn't help me at all. Mm. It's more, it's a, it's a hindrance. Uh, and I hope after I like, I've been this, the stuff that I'm going to put on the album next week, I've been working on that stuff for at least two years. So that's been the basis of what I've been working on for the last two years. It's just mm. that material. After that, after I finally get that on record, I'm going to start working more on newer stuff. And part of it is going to probably deal with just having to deal with this oh, anxiety and depression again. Because I'd been on the Prozac for so long that it was okay. Right. But now and now that I'm off of it, it's like going... I don't... Ha the experience that I'm having with stand-up comedy right now is totally new to me. I've never done stand-up off the Prozac before. Mm which is what I've been doing for the last year. And it's, uh, it's hard. I just can't, I'm either kind of, uh, I gotta actually, I, uh, I'm planning on it. I kind of been busy, so I haven't done it, but I do need to try to find a clinic or something and try to get on, back on the medication if I can. Oh really? So yeah. you, it was better for you. Uh, for me it was, yeah. I mean, but again, you know, you, uh, it's one of those things where it probably depends on who you ask. I yeah. mean, you'll be some guys that'll be like, oh, yeah, I hated being on, I don't know, lithium. Do they still prescribe lithium? I don't know. Yeah, what they, they, sometimes they do. do they? Yeah. I, okay, it's, it's, or whatever, you know, whatever the 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 medications are uh, for mental health now. Fortunately, I, from what I hear, I'm no expert on it, but I hear Prozac because it's like one of the oldest antidepressants. It has the least side effects. Mm. So I never really had to deal with very many side effects from the Prozac it just worked for me yeah uh and it worked for years so I you know with any luck I might be, I just the thing is I don't have health insurance mm. so I can't afford to just right uh, is that part of why you stopped well that's that is the reason I stopped oh yeah that is the reason you stopped yeah okay. I used to go to a clinic that had like a discount service or charity service or something like yeah. that but they stopped doing it and to go back there would have been like $700 or something like that. Did you that. have to stop cold turkey? Because you're supposed to wean off that stuff pretty slowly, uh, right? Well, the thing with Prozac is that from what I hear, it's got a a long half-life. I don't know if that's the term. Where or like a long it, tail, like it stays in your system. It stays in your system for a long time. So Because yeah. I would, I mean, when I would go on the road, sometimes I would forget and I would miss a dosage here and there. And I'd be fine. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's not that part because I, I do hear some pills are like, "Oh, you missed a day, you're you're gonna be nuts." The it's next not like day. birth control. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> you, but you gotta uh, wait a week. It's so so. It was fine. Uh, it, it actually it actually was a long process. Like I, I I don't know if I've been off of it for more than a year, but whenever I went went off of it, it still it wasn't. It still took three four months before I was like, "Oh shit, I'm I'm reverting back to." I'm also more irritable when mm. I'm off the Prozac. There's all these other things that, uh, uh, mental things that I have to deal with that I really were not a big deal when I was on medication. Yeah. Do you know where it comes from? Do you have a sense of where all that stuff stems from with you or the, the, depression? the depression, all of it? Like I think it's, uh, I think it's just chemical. I think it's just the way my brain is wired. I think some people's brains are just wired to have a tendency to be to have depression right 
because I really haven't. It's not like I've left uh, lived a traumatic life or anything like that. Yeah. I don't have. My parents are great. I had a, a decent uh, uh, childhood. You know, it's not. I didn't. I've never had to deal with like major, major tragedy in my life. It's just that that's the way. I've always been since since I was a kid. I mean, I always dealt with depression. I didn't. I hesitated to actually even get medication because I always thought I was like, "Oh, that's cheating," you know, man. Mm. You're like, you're just you just don't want to face reality. And I still think. I mean, again, I talk, I didn't talk about it too much last night, but when I do my longer sets, I talk about uh, how depressing life can be, uh, just in general. So I think it, uh, you know, I think it's perfectly normal to be depressed if you really look at how terrible life can be or how how many horrible things there are in happening in the world yeah but uh but so so for so for that reason i kind of hesitated to ever get on medication because i thought i was like well that's just cheating you're just trying to avoid reality but eventually i was just like well if i don't do something this is gonna not gonna end good it's not gonna end well i can't you know i can't function like this so i got on the medication and it took yeah it took maybe I don't know, maybe two, three months before it really started taking effect. And after it started taking effect, it was great. I mean, it was like, again, I wasn't like Mr. Happy Joy or whatever. It was an array of sunshine, but at least I was, you know, it just gave me like a level ground where like, okay, I can operate now. Kind of like I was talking about my friends that smoke weed, not to get, you know, super stoned, just to be able to like deal with the normal stresses in life. And I think that's what, the medication provides me it's like an opportunity to actually deal with the stresses of life without running them through my head a million times and getting anxious and depressed and you know uh dreading right mm-hmm. yeah it's a lot and we have we have depression in my family um i don't suffer from it the way other members of my family do um it's it's uh one one person in my life in particular who suffers from it about as badly as you can possibly imagine oh, yeah. yeah um and uh so our relationship is really challenging and um but yeah lately like really recently i've just been like i have just been raging i've just been enraged you know like i'm flying off the handle over nothing you are yeah oh, you know really? and i've got like, you know, I've got some, some stimuli in my life that help mm-hmm. enrage me. I got a dog, yeah. I got a daughter, <laughs> you know, yeah. I got a very complicated, expensive business mm-hmm. and I'm trying to s- change my whole trajectory by doing comedy and yeah. I, and this podcast, I love this podcast. This is like my, this is like medicine and meditation yeah. for me is this That's podcast. Great. I just really enjoy it. And, um, but you know, all these things take me away from my company, which I have people running it, you know, like uh-huh. it, it runs itself to a degree. The daily operations handle without me happen without me. Finally. Mm-hmm. That's great. But I still have to be involved, you know? Right. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, I'm, but I'm impacted every once in a while. Like I just got assaulted the other day by this, person who's really the the problem in my family and and i think it's really taken a toll on me you know yeah. i'm um i haven't rec- i didn't think it mattered because it's happened so many times but it hadn't happened in a while and that what that you lost it on them, that oh or? that i got you know 
lambasted. You oh, know? okay. And uh, I got, you know, I got hit with just this awful email. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just sent to me. It was sent to like a thousand people. And it was really personal. Really? Yeah. It was, it was about you and it got sent it, to a thousand people? It was to me, people? about me. And yeah, this, this person feels... They do this all the time. Whenever they're mad at somebody, the email goes out to everyone that's yeah. on their mailing list. And and it's totally inappropriate, you know? Yeah, like no and kidding. and I get and I end up getting emails from people being like, I'm so sorry that, you know, this happened and are you okay? And I'm like, I don't even know you, you know? Like I appreciate it because they're caring. Mm-hmm. But now I'm getting emails from people that I don't know who are reading about my very personal business, you know? So it's like yeah. So anyway, it's just I can I can feel that like it's it's hit me you know and it's coming out all over the place and yeah um, that's terrible yeah it's terrible who, is, this, is this the person who is this person is somebody just, you i'm with? deliberately not saying who it is okay. but it's it's someone who's very close to me yeah um that's, that's terrible it's fucking terrible yeah and you know and as a result like i'm out of balance and uh-huh. um and I'm like, well, do I need Prozac or whatever, whatever you know? But right. no, I need to not have this person, that's, you know? Like, yeah. But that's a little hard to get out of this one. Um, that's, yeah, I think, and that's a good way of putting it, being out of balance. That's kind of, because that's kind of what the medication does for me. It's just, it puts me in balance. Yeah. And that, you know, being in balance doesn't mean that you're not going to have to deal with shit. You're always, you're going to have to deal with shit your entire life. Right. But it's easier to deal with that shit when you're not also dealing with you being out of balance. Right. All right. So if you, yeah, if you're on level footing, just to keep this analogy going, it's going to be easier to get to the end of this trek than if you're stumbling and tripping and falling down, you know, in your head mentally. Yeah. 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 So that's what I would, uh, and you know, I was, again, just to bring back the, 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 what I was saying about the, my friends that smoke weed, to stay in balance i would almost i would consider that if it wasn't because it's illegal yeah and i mean not that it stopped me from smoking it before but i also don't want to get into the habit of oh which is an i mean again it's another su- uh, subject that is ridiculous but nobody should have to face jail time for just trying to medicate a mental illness right but it happens i mean that's yeah. unfortunately that's the reality of it at least in North Carolina and the state that we live in. Yeah. And in and, most and, states. And a lot of states still. Yeah. Yeah. It's, these are people that are, they're not criminals. They're just trying to treat their, you know, mental illness. And yeah, smoking pot just isn't a crime. I mean, no, it just plain isn't. It never know? hurt anybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if it had, it's just not a crime. I mean, alcohol has hurt more people than weed. And, uh, but even that, like, it just, it's just not a crime. Okay, I'm going to say this and I'm going to disagree with it as soon as it comes out of my mouth. It's not a crime to want to do that to yourself. <laughs> On the other hand, no, it's, right. it is a crime to want to do that to yourself. Like it's, you know, well, it's, 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 it's kind of, I think, I think it was Bill Hicks that said it's like, it's, it's not a war on drugs. It's a war on personal freedom. Mm-hmm. And basically that's what he's saying is that if you say you did, or maybe it was Stan Hope. I hope I didn't fuck it up. <laughs> one of those guys, you know, one of those guys that always says the smart shit. Uh, it wasn't you and it wasn't me. Yeah, it was definitely not <laughs> me. But it is a war on personal freedom in the sense that, yeah, what it, you know, even if weed was uh, terrible for your body, which I don't believe it is. I mean, 
it's still your body it's still whatever you want to do with yeah. your body and if it kills you then it's you i mean right. that's if any if you should have control or freedom to do any anything with anything it should be with yourself with yeah. your own body and nobody ever goes on shooting rampages when they're high on pot yeah then you don't leave the house <laughs> right exactly yeah they just eat a lot of food after i'll shoot show. someone tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly well, listen, man, this has been really cool. I hope it's been enjoyable for you. Yeah, it's man. been That's fun. Thank it's you for really, having me. Really great. Um, I'm enjoying getting to know you, and I like learning a little bit about, you know, I mean, I like meeting the person behind the act, you know, and, and I think other people will enjoy meeting the person behind the act, too. You I know? hope so. All right. We'll see. Um, I, you know, you're a good dude. I, I would imagine. <laughs> Thank you. I would imagine you're pretty well liked wherever you go. You're, you're a nice guy. At least, yeah, I, I guess so. I don't know. And I, 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 you can never hear what people say behind your back. But I don't have any... You can enemy. hear about it. <laughs> you hear about it, yeah, but yeah. you never actually hear it. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea what people say about me, but I know it's not all good. <laughs> I know that... Uh, and you know what it really is? There's less of it than I think. <laughs> That's the yeah. real thing. Uh, not that many people are talking about you, you know? Yeah, most people don't give a shit. Most people have their own problems to deal with. Yeah. I also found that, I mean, just in stand-up comedy, most comics are pretty cool. Especially the really good ones. Yeah. The really good ones are usually pretty cool. The ones that the ones that are assholes are usually the ones that are insecure and think that if they're nice to you, you're a threat to them being able to do stand-up comedy. Right. If you're a good enough comic, you don't have to worry about the next guy being a good comic or not. As usual, I had no idea what to expect from our conversation, but I'm really happy Carlos made time to speak with me. As an up-and-coming comedian who loves talking to comics about comedy, this was one for the books. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't keep it to yourself. Tell somebody. Tell everybody. Don't bogart your happiness. Tweet about it. Rate us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and post your comments to our website. Utilize our Amazon portal, and please consider making a donation on our donation page. That way, we can keep failing forever. <laughs>